Welcome to Filmstrip's Star Wars Retrospective Series, where we will review the films of the original trilogy and the prequel trilogy. This is madness. Our guides for this journey will be Kurt. I have a bad feeling about this. And Jay. It is obvious that this contest cannot be decided by our knowledge of the Force, but by our skills with a lightsaber. These podcasts will be spoiler-filled as we discuss the plots, characters, and themes. The Force will be with you, always. Welcome to Filmstrip. I'm Jay. And I'm Kurt. And this is our Star Wars retrospective series and our review of Star Wars Episode Two: Attack of the Clones. Starring Ewan McGregor, Natalie Portman, Hayden Christensen, Ian McDermott, Samuel L. Jackson, Anthony Daniels, Kenny Baker, Frank Oz, and Christopher Lee. Directed by George Lucas, released in 2002 on a budget of $115 million, grossed over $649 million at the box office. Now, Phantom Menace made you know unholy about some money we no doubt about that <laughs> but almost right alongside of it it did not come without a lot of detractors I, a lot of the things we you know brought up and complained about last time people were saying even back then so the pressure on the second part here was enormous oh yeah i mean might, might bring this up a few times over the course of this but I went back and watched that making of Phantom Menace, and you can see Lucas watching the cuts of watching a first cut of Phantom Menace. He's literally pulling his hair, thinking, "I have totally screwed this up." That is ex- that he doesn't say it, but you know that is exactly what's going through his head and through the minds of all the producers in the room. <laughs> I think he didn't a hundred percent make a quantum leap in quality, but he absolutely, I think, learned his lesson a little bit when it comes to how to make a movie. Like how I said. How Harrison Ford between Star Wars and Empire, it's like he took an acting class. Between Phantom Menace and Clones, it's like uh, George Lucas went back to film school and uh, <laughs> learned how to uh, make a just learn how to make, make a better movie. Because I will come out right away with that. I like this movie. I despise Phantom Menace. And watching these films in order again, watching Clones, the bottom line is I liked it. And I don't have that many problems with it. So we'll get into maybe some of those problems. But overall... I would say I like this movie. It is a it is it, compared to Phantom Menace. This is Godfather Two. <laughs> it's just anything would have been an improvement. I'm sure that'd be like comparing Godfather Two or Goodfellas to a TV show like Wise Guy. You know, like it's got its <laughs> moments, but there were things about that show that just no, didn't work. That Phantom Menace. I you know I think I said even the last time I wanted to defend it so much, and I just can't. There's just some of that I just know. And particularly when this, you say he take a directing class, he took a script writing class on how to balance tone. I mean, this film, for the bulk of its run, vacillates between two very different stories. You've got a detective-type story with Obi-Wan Kenobi, and you've got a love story with Anakin and Padme. And those things alongside of each other, you would think, oh, God, that's going to be disaster, right? But <laughs> for the most part, a lot of it works. I mean, I really think that for the most part that worked as a storytelling element. And I think he got the story better. And I'll be honest with you, I think there was something to tell. The last movie seemed to just exist to set up the world, to set up Anakin Skywalker, and to have that pod race scene. This film actually has something to say. Now, whether or not it does it effectively, we'll get into. But there's something here. 
after the last one, I didn't even know that I was really sure I wanted to know what happened next. I knew we were going to get it one way or the other, but I didn't know that I, I cared. After this one, I was hooked in again. So from the outset, I'll say the same thing and telegraph a bit of my ending here is that this is a step up from Phantom Menace. Phantom Menace didn't feel like a Star Wars movie at all. Did not earn that, you know, John Williams music when the credits start rolling at the end. But this movie felt more like a Star Wars movie in a lot of ways. Just in the, in the main thing of the, the different storylines uh, constantly moving forward. It, it took that from, I don't know if he would just say, oh yeah, I took it from Empire. But the fact that we're constantly moving from planet to planet with two different storylines, that to me felt like the structure of Empire. And that made it feel like a Star Wars movie to me. Yeah, it, d- it did feel more like a Star Wars movie and not a movie about you know something in the Star Wars universe, which maybe some of that last one could have been along the way, you know, when you really look at it. But we'll we'll get into more of that as we get into the film here. Kurt, I think it's time to ask our friend John Jansen from the Hollywood Gauntlet to come in and tell us what is Episode 2 all about. Star Wars Episode 2, Attack of the Clones. Ten years after the invasion of Naboo, the galaxy is on a brink of civil war. Under the leadership of a renegade Jedi named Count Dooku, thousands of solar systems threaten to break away from the Galactic Republic. When an assassination attempt is made on Senator Padme Amidala, the former Queen of Naboo, 20-year-old Jedi apprentice Anakin Skywalker is assigned to protect her. In the course of his mission, Anakin discovers his love for Padme, as well as his own darker side. Soon, Anakin, Padme, and Obi-Wan Kenobi are drawn into the heart of the Separatist movement, and the beginning of the Clone Wars. So there we have it. A pretty dense story for the second time around. Lots happen here, and we're going to go through it here. I don't think we can go through it piece by piece like we would linearly, because again, these storylines intersect along the way, and so it's best to just kind of talk about the setup, then we can talk about the Obi-Wan story, then the love story, and then we can get into that final act, which is just a complete blowout. I mean, they they go all out with that battle, and we'll get to that, but let's start with the opening here, and we get the crawl again, and is, am I not mistaken, is this the first pan up that we've had? Absolutely is. A lot of fans point that out, how it, <laughs> it's totally out of nowhere, where like the all, all six films except for this one. Let's go with the you know title Star Wars pan and and pan down to something. This one goes with the pan up for no particular reason. I don't know why he did why Lucas did that. I don't. I didn't. It doesn't bother me. I don't think all oh, that sucked, but it, it does come off as like, why would you do that? Like you know, you would think that if all people, Lucas would want to maintain that throughout the entire series, but. I I will only posit this, and this is totally my opinion. I've never verified this, and if somebody knows out there, please post it in the Facebook forum to hit me up on Twitter. Let me know you know if I'm wrong, if I'm right, I'm on the right track or whatever. I feel like what he wanted this to do in that first one was well, we're used to panning down, so we just pan down. Well, now okay, I'm going to tell you a, a different story. It's a Star Wars story, and it's about characters you know or know things about, but it's going to approach from a different angle. It's not going to be what you expect in a lot of ways because again, the detective angle that's a different thing and i want to look at this from different and i almost took it as if you've watched a lot of space movies and things and ones that are about actual space travel a lot of times when you know we would think you would look up you're actually looking down and i think he wanted to come up from the bottom of a planet and and come up i don't know i i don't know that there's any reason behind that but it's just the way i've always read it and i've i've always noticed it and i'm not a camera geek or anything like that but i've always noticed this film looked different from the get-go and i liked the opening scene the big you know, silver SR-71 Blackbird, you know, uh, fly to the navigator <laughs> thing. I mean, that's all I think 
think of it when I see that ship. But the attack on the on the uh, Senator Amadala now, not Queen Amadala anymore. And I'm immediately intrigued. I'm like, why are we still trying to kill this woman? <laughs> yeah, right away the movie sets up the political story again, which mm-hmm. which which might have been a problem if you know, given all my problems with with Phantom Menace and that political uh, bullshit story, but. <laughs> The politics story angle of this and uh, Revenge of the Sith, uh, I felt was just easier to follow. And I think it's a good time to point out this was co- this was the of the prequels, the only one that was co-written by George Lucas and a guy named Jonathan Hales, mm-hmm. who worked for Lucas on uh, the Adventures of the Young Indiana Jones. And I think he's to thank for any improvements in the story and just the the way we start off with a bang. I mean, like that with Phantom Menace, like we started right away with those two uh, Newt Gunray looking guys. And just the second they started talking, I just thought, oh, it's just, it's just this is horrible. But clones, I, uh, starting with an explosion like that, also starting with that pan up and we follow a ship all the way into the atmosphere, into uh, a landing pad. We haven't seen that before in any of the films. And mm-hmm. it's quite it's, it's very good shot i mean that's the kind of thing lucas clearly wanted to do from the very beginning was like you know go literally go all the way from space into the planet landing we like that's a great shot all right to the populated world and i mean it's a it's a heck of a shot and it disarms us because this guy is talking to someone and we don't know who he's talking to at first and it's like yeah there was nothing to worry about at all it looks like i was wrong and it looks like the uh, the queen now senator has got you know still got a security detail but sure enough boom you know a big explosion right out of the gate they run over there and the decoy is all I, I failed you and she dies and i'm like man this is wait like we kill somebody that we we don't care about otherwise other than the fact that that was supposed to be padme that, that was getting killed again and you begin to wonder okay if they're going to keep taking shots at this woman it wasn't just because she was the queen there's something else at play here and i want to know what that is and you called it out the political story of last time was like a fifth grade civics class or something <laughs> terrible this feels like a much smarter political story it's not the smartest one i've ever seen but it's hmm. much more engaging than the last one and i think part of that is they bothered to explain a lot more of it than they did last time rather than just expect us to go with it i think they realized hey we, we actually have to spell some of this crap out <laughs> so because people are not going to get it and so they go with it this time i was i was into the movie though from this opening explosion i was really curious as to okay what does this mean what comes to mind right away is a uh, movie starts off with uh, the decoy getting killed mm-hmm. which is right away lucas is improving on something here we got that decoy crap that we had in the first movie that i didn't understand now the decoy comes in handy because the decoy is killed. Actually, does something besides send the queen to work on a droid. That's so, right. Which, you know, seems to be much more in line with what a decoy should do. So, I mean, I'm not saying they're total target fodder, but you know, <laughs> come on. But then, no, that's right. And what we find out is is that she's returning to Coruscant because the Senate is going to vote, and it's a big vote about whether or not the Republic should have an army, right? Creating an army to help the Jedi against the threat of the separatists the trade federation and and all this is still going on the republic's very fractured and i think the other thing we get here that i really like throughout the film is we actually get to see the jedi council in some form operate and it's mostly windu and yoda which are kind of like the vice president and president of the the council i guess you'd say but I, I don't know. I liked the fact that we actually get to see what the roles the jedis had other than just being monks in a tower 
Oh yeah, yeah. Like the Jedi, they literally they literally sat around doing nothing. This guy Mace Windu, as I said, was a I thought was a terrible character in the first movie because he just sat around. I, I had I, I had no uh, like reason to want to care about this guy, or I I, I had nothing to uh, make me think, oh, this guy is clearly a great Jedi and is good at what he does. He just came off as an arrogant bastard in the first movie. This one, Mace Windu, he got into the action for real. He you know he. Uh, you get to see why he is where he is, uh, and he actually gets some real amazement to Sam Jackson. Gets some good stuff to do actually in the, towards the end of this movie. And yeah, the Jedi Council—they do get to do something. You, you get to see why Palpatine wanted to get rid of them in the first place because they're <laughs> the first people to say that he's wrong. They know right. they like they suggest the right thing. He's like, well, I don't want to have to listen to these guys. Hence, Revenge of the Sith happens. Yes, exactly. And that's how you get all of that backstory worked out and the seeds of it begin here. And I think that's why this one's so important is if you're going to watch that third film, you know, I don't know that you even need all of the first one, but you got to have this one and this one. And I think Lucas knew this has got to be good because if this doesn't work, then nobody's going to care about the third one. There's not going to be a reason to come <laughs> back. And he was right. They need to care, and they need to care because he, we're going to introduce an argument. Let's make it an argument about, okay, do we want a full-on military, or do we just want to keep trusting the Jedi, and what what do the Separatists want? And I'm still fuzzing on that, Kurt. I'm not really <laughs> sure what the Trade Federation is. I mean, that we get a line that, like, new gun has been on trial a bunch, but he still keeps getting off because the courts are really corrupt, and then the <laughs> the sentence apparently is really corrupt. I'm like, well, it's just like today, right? Like it's you know, people get off for stuff. It's like how did the, you know? It's because he's rich and powerful, right? But I'm not really sure what they were hoping to gain. I think what I'm supposed to expect and under or accept and understand is that all of this is the work of Darth Sidious behind the scenes pulling everybody's strings. But that's not how it plays in the story. So that I mean, you only know that if you've watched the whole series. Yeah. So. In this film itself, it is one thing I bump up against. I'm like, now, who, who's on whose side? I think I emailed you that a couple of times. Like, who, <laughs> who's supposed to be getting sacrificed now? I'm not really sure I understand. Oh, yeah. It's clear in in Sith that not even like Count Dooku has not been let in on what exactly Palpatine is planning. And this goes back to the Emperor being a great villain is that he is setting up. He's a master chess player in terms of setting up all the sides against each other. Uh, you know, he's he's helping to set up these trade federations and this droid army to create a situation that would make the Republic want to create an army. Then he takes that army and he turns that into the Empire. Uh, and yeah, this is where the like this movie is where the ball really gets rolling on the Emperor becoming the Emperor. Exactly. Yeah, this is the step where he gets the emergency powers. All that happens in the third act. We'll get to that. But yeah, that's the. I guess the die that gets cast that starts leading them down that you know inevitable road, which has already really started anyway. And that's the subtext of the entire film, even in the love story that gets weaved in and out of there with some of the conversations between those two. But the the setup here though is that we you know the someone is trying to kill the senator, obviously because she has strong opinions about the negative about an army, and she's not the only one. We shouldn't say she is. There are other ones that are on her side, and. 
we learned that, okay, well, we've got to find out who's trying to kill her. So they put her under the protection of Obi-Wan Kenobi and Anakin Skywalker. Now, we got to talk about the new Anakin here, uh-huh. Hayden Christensen. Now, I, you know, Jake Lloyd was essentially driven out of acting by, yeah. the, by the hate that he got from Star Wars fans. Hayden Christensen has not been driven away from acting. And in fact, I will say this now. I have seen him in other things. No, not Jumper. In other <laughs> things where I thought he gave a you know, really interesting and good performance shattered glass kind of an underappreciated little film i'd like him a lot in that so i'm i am not going to be anti-hayden christians i look at his performance often the way i look at ewan mcgregor's he Hmm. did the best with what was put in front of him and being inexperienced to have to act against a green screen and maybe one other person real person in the room and with a director that doesn't know anything about acting and how to direct Hmm. actors i thought he was he was fine. I have no problems with Hayden Christensen's performance. Absolutely, I just you know concur with with all of that. Uh, I, wow, you and I are going to be in a strong minority. I'm just going to say that now. <laughs> oh yeah, like I I think I think even Star uh, hopefully Star Wars fans would agree that be, just because Christensen's performance is not good in this movie does not mean Christensen is a bad actor because Liam Neeson is one of the best actors ever, mm-hmm. and he sucked. In Phantom Menace. It's not his fault. It's not Christensen's fault. Christensen was uh, nominated for a Golden Globe and a a Screen Actors Guild and a bunch of other awards for this movie called Life as a House where he got rave reviews. Like this is one of the budding, you know, young actors. And that's probably why Lucas cast him as as Anakin Skywalker. The problem is, and we, we just keep repeating it, Lucas just does not know how to deal with actors. And watching the the Phantom Menace making up, I think it's clear that Lucas really just does not care about what happens on the production because his mind is perhaps rightly so his mind is so focused on the insane amount of work that's going to have to go into pre into the post-production that he just doesn't care that much about the production and the performance because if he did care about the performances i mean you know we'd get great uh performances from from these actors like like ewan mcgregor and yeah hayden christensen this is he like him playing the mopey brooding lame ass whatever whatever you want to call it anakin skywalker that's lucas's fault that's that's not on like like i said look at look at ford under lucas's direction in star wars and look at him under kirshner's direction in empire and see the difference and that's that's the case here with with christensen that's not his fault well i'll say that he he is the teenage angsty mopey bitchy person Okay, and people hate that or whatever. But I dare anyone who says that, by the way, go back and look at yourself during that time period. (laughs) Okay, and you're not a Jedi, never will be, by the way. So that's a totally different kind of pressure. But just think (laughs) about who you were then. We all were that way. It's just, it's male development. It's just how we do things. We don't know. Our bodies are way ahead of our minds, and we don't know what we're doing. And he's the perfect analog for that here. He's got all this tremendous ability and power. He can do all this stuff. And he's got a relatively young mentor. That's one thing we got to note here. You notice these apprentice and mentor relationships with the Jedi. usually one who's really experienced really old or really experienced i should say and one that's relatively young well there's not what 10 15 years difference between Mm obi-wan and and uh anakin if that much in in storyline logic and i'm talking about two actors i'm just talking about like the way the story works they're not that much older so it's like having your older brother as your mentor and he can kind of keep you in line but he himself doesn't really know what the hell he's doing you know (laughs) because obi-wan screws up a whole lot in this in this movie he's not perfect and i I actually i think that makes his character better too because he actually 
does the wrong thing a couple times or makes the wrong step here. So he's not perfect. But you get the, I get the angst. Like I, that's the thing that I've never, I guess I've just never been able to accept in terms of criticism is people like, I just hate he's so whiny and mopey and he bitches all the time about, oh, he won't, won't let me do this and why, why, why. And I'm like, you know, that's what teenage guys do when they're pissed off about stuff like this that's how you deal with it and i've never bought it never bothered me and i guess you know i was a little older when i saw this film than teenage but it never bumped up against me i've never had a problem with it i bought that that's where the character was you know now is that where we you know is that how you want to remember darth vader well he's not darth vader yet so let's all just take a pill and and relax a minute and let him (laughs) get there you know like i don't need him to be james earl jones in the second movie I'm okay if there's a little bit of growth there. And I actually kind of like it because Jeepers Creepers, I mean, Jake Lloyd had no emotion at all. And part of that, again, is on the, the awful editing that Lucas did to him. But he, that that guy just didn't have it. Hayden Christensen emotes a lot of different stuff. And there's times when he's giving line deliveries that I'm like, this is the dumbest thing in the world to say. But you know what? He played that off pretty good. I I don't have a problem with this guy the way that I see it and, and hear and have read a lot of criticism of him. Yeah, I think like DiCaprio was was mentioned at one point that he was interested in mm-hmm. playing Anakin Skywalker and the event that didn't happen. And a lot of people think, oh, wouldn't that be amazing? But I would bet money, even if DiCaprio played this role, it would end up being more or less the same thing. Because Ewan McGregor and DiCaprio are, you know, they're almost like as good as each other. And I think DiCaprio would have been just as bad. He would, he would not have been given... A, a great performance. Yeah, it's it's a wooden performance. I mean, I won't I won't sit here and say that it's this you know grand yeah. uh, operatic moment, but f- uh, it's not. It, that is the fault of the lines and the the direction more so than it's the fault of the actor's ability to interpret any of this stuff. You know, because even the original actors would tell you in the original trilogy, who the hell talks like this? You know, like the, the words they say don't make any sense. They all know that. So I, I don't, again, I think it's a fault of the script more than it's a fault of the, them. Yeah, it's absolutely like, you know, Lucas, he just, he just doesn't know what he's doing when it, when it comes to actors. I mean, it's, it's like you watch him on Fant- in the Phantom Menace documentary, literally seeing, you know, after working on a scene with Jake Lloyd and he, and like, I can tell, like he, I think he said one, like a oh, one take, one take and he nailed it. Mm-hmm. And looking at the scene, like that's the one take that you think was good enough. It's like, it just shows he just doesn't know what he's doing when it comes to actors. Cause it's like, I would know, I have never directed a film. I would know to tap him on the shoulders. Like, can you want to do it again? Maybe do it differently or something. It's like, no, that was fine. It's like, he's like, it's like Ed Wood almost, you know, it's yeah. like, can you like, <laughs> How about That's another take? For, like, why improve on perfection? Yeah, it's, and and you know sometimes directors grow with their actors. I mean, still, Spielberg will be one to tell you. Robert Shaw and Roy Scheider and even Young Dreyfus taught him a lot about what actors can do to a role in Jaws. You know, he didn't really know what he was doing then either. I mean, he had the eye for the camera and he understood the balance of the story. And he knew that story backward and forward because he rewritten it two or three times himself just to get it down. But those actors created those roles in front of him on the camera and he let them do it. And Lucas is just not one to do that. And now we're getting off the topic a little bit here, but bears mentioning because when we put these two on screen together, you know, 
Ewan McGregor and Jake Lloyd had no chemistry together at all. And I'm sitting there going like, oh, God, he's going to mentor him? Really? Like, you just don't see it. And here you're told about you know their friends and that they've been in some stuff together, and you're told a lot about their relationship without seeing it. And the only way that works is if when they are together, you see something there. And there is something there between the two of them. Like, they really did a good job of convincing me that, yes, they had been through thick and thin as Jedi's, at, even up to this point during Anakin's training, that, 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 like, that's right. Like you see the uh, the realistic, you know, uh, friendship and you know camaraderie between the two, and at the same time, you absolutely see the seeds of what's coming and their eventual split. Like I, I do like the scene where uh, Obi Wan's explaining uh, to Padme how this protection detail is going to go, and. Anakin starts, you know, he immediately suggests, well, why don't we go after the bounty hunter, ba- the bounty hunter? Mm-hmm. And Obi-Wan just looks at him and is like, what? Like, like that, 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 that I, I really like that moment. They're like, what did, like, I, like how, did you just uh, contradict me in front of somebody? Yeah. yeah. He definitely calls him down. I thought that uh, the power struggle between the two of them is part of this story. Cause that's Anakin's thing is he thinks he should be way ahead of where he is. And he's also got people telling him that too. Palpatine tells him that at one time, you know, oh, they're holding you back and stuff. So, I mean, it's the worst thing that like an ego needs, right? It's more stroking. And he gets it in this film. Yeah, that's one of the one of the few lines actually I don't like, like flat I don't like, is when Palpatine's talking to Anakin and he says, I can sense that you're becoming the mo- the greatest of all Jedi. And that's like... Yeah, that's a little false. Yeah, I, I would have been fine with the, the first bit he said is that you don't need a lot of mentorship, Anakin. You know, I mean, he would have left it at that. It would have been fine. You know, it, you I'm, get the same idea without the the overpraise. Oh, yeah, I'm fine. I'm like, I'm fine with, with Darth Vader not having been the greatest Jedi of all time. Mm-hmm. I'm just happy with Darth Vader being the Jedi that turned to the other side and from the inside you know, brought down, well, brought down the Republic. We didn't really get into that last time and we need to talk about it this time. The, the prophecy bit, the, the Jedi that will bring balance to the force. You know, I don't think they, that even Lucas really knew what the hell he was trying to say when they created that line. You know, they work it out and, and in a way you can kind of work it out in your head. And we, we'll maybe talk about that more in episode three, but I, that seems to be like, we're trying to make too much out of this one guy. He doesn't have to be Jesus Christ superstar. He can just be a guy that went bad and a, and a lot of really bad shit happened when he did. You know, like, why does it have to be the be all end all? Cause again, that makes the universe incredibly small. Yeah. One like that's two things Lucas absolutely said. Okay, we need to lose two things regarding the Force. One, I don't think they mentioned the prophecy once uh, in this film. And two, I don't think the word the word metachlorians did not come up uh, once either. Uh, and it comes up only once in uh, Sith, and actually in a good way. Mm-hmm. But that's one thing I think Lucas absolutely learns lesson. It's like okay, let's let's lose the whole trying to explain the Force and any prophecies. Let's just Jedi's are Jedi, and that's it. Yeah, some things don't need over explaining, and that's the that's the good idea. I think that's the thing is people were waiting for the over explanation, and then when they didn't get it, they were kind of eh, miffed about it or whatever. I I didn't need it. I thought it was fine the way that they played it all off here, and they, you know they get on this little adventure here, and they bump into of course they you know they meet with uh, Padme again, and we get the beginnings of what will become the love story right and uh, people are like oh god this is the dumbest scene of all time and i'm like no it's not this is exactly how a teenage guy would react to a girl that he's been crushing on for 10 years now the fact that he's kind of you know stalkerific about that crush is sort of scary but 
don't have a problem with that. That he played it just like every other you know average male would. I think I I never have a problem with that. Yeah, he's uh, if he plays it kind of like stalkerific. Well, I mean, this is a this is a, this is not a normal guy, Anakin Skywalker, dark wow. side of the Force or whatever. This is a guy who spent the first you know eight years of his life as a slave on some desert mm-hmm. and has been taken away from his mother. You know, at at a way too young age, and thrown into this Jedi world. I think I, I think any you know abnormalities in his behavior, I think, are you know uh, self-explanatory with it with yes. his the way his life's gone. No, I agree. I mean, he his issues are clear. Yeah, there's yeah. no there's no doubt about that. So I I don't have a problem with the way that comes off or anything. And actually, I like the way that. Padme tries to blow it off. Like, don't look at me like that. That makes me really uncomfortable. <laughs> like, she tries to tell him, "Look, Jack, this ain't happening. So just don't, don't do it." You know, like I, I, I like that. I thought it was well done, to say the least. I, I won't say well done. I thought it was believable. I was fine with it because what I'm more interested in is who's trying to kill this woman. You know, <laughs> and that story is what is fun because they're on protection detail, and you know they have this uh, bounty hunter that. Uh, we see this guy that's dressed up like Boba Fett. Now, hmm. first thing, I was like, well, who the hell is that? And, of course, we'll learn later that that's Jango Fett, with Boba's father, and we'll get more into him in a little while. But he's hired this shape-shifting woman thing, bounty hunter, to take out the uh, the senator. And, you know, I, I've seen some elaborate ways of trying to kill some people. Uh, you know, poisonous space slugs may be <laughs> the most yeah. elaborate way I've seen anybody. I felt like I was watching Gross Point Blank, you know? Yeah. You ever seen that movie? And he's trying, you know, uh, John Cusack's trying to poison this guy by dripping stuff down the wire and all this. And it's like, just shoot him in the head. <laughs> and then it's done, you know? Oh, yeah. Dr. No did the same thing, <laughs> yes. where all of a sudden, I think someone literally takes out a spider and plants it in his room. It's like, the guy's asleep anyway. Just take a knife and do it already. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. And by the way, tarantulas are not poisonous. So thanks for your yeah. <laughs> your six six of there to figure that out. But yeah. But that was the that was the time. So we can blame it on this. This seems a little bit elaborate plot, but it does give us a great chase scene with Obi Wan Kenobi and Anakin. You know, going there, they kill the space slugs, and then they chase after the little probe droid and run it down to that bounty hunter. And I love how that whole thing unfolds and they wind up it looked like a scene out of like total recall or something, man, the, the bar that they wind up in. I definitely got to um, talk about that, that, that chase scene, that chase scene is spectacular. I think the CG has absolutely improved tremendously between 99 and 2002. Oh yeah. And that scene is fantastic. And it's absolutely, I think Lucas might be the first person to say it's a hundred percent a ripoff of the, of this exact same scene in fifth element. Yes. Uh, except this time with a, except this time there's a lightsaber involved. Uh, <laughs> But it's very, but it's a very good scene. I just love the visuals of both Anakin and Obi Wan falling through traffic. It's it, yes. it's just a strange. When I just think of like those moments where you hit pause and think, what am I watching here? We're watching a guy falling down through uh, hover car traffic. Yeah. To find to to track down this one cards and it's a it is a fantastic uh, scene and it, I I like the fact that it it shows that it 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 starts this thing of Anakin being uh this reckless thing and like uh, not having a death wish but he's like he's absolutely willing to do whatever it takes to get the the job done and that of course does lead into exactly what he does in Sith is doing whatever it takes to get what he wants and you know if it means jumping off doing the absolutely most death-defying thing of jumping off you're either going to get hit by a car or you're going to hit the <laughs> ground 
Yeah. Uh, before you before you hit something, but the thing I loved about that, Kurt, is that it showed that those two guys had an immense amount of trust in one another because they knew one of them was going to catch the other. Like that was it was going to work out. Like they just had total faith in that. That's the way I've always read it, at least. I like that too. I think that gives them a uh, gives gives weight to that relationship again. That and it is fantastic CGI. It looks great. It's a very cool scene, and they get some fun banner in there too. Like you know, they they have a few little cute, goofy George Lucas bad jokes. You know, and and the fact that they're kind of bad, and the way that the way both these actors read them is like this is going to be a really stupid thing to say, but I'm going to go ahead and say it ironically. It sort of works in kind of a scream way. Like I I enjoyed the yeah. humor between the two of them, and then like I said, when they land down there and and chase the bounty hunter into the bar. It's uh, it's a scene out of t- I mean like I said it felt like Total Recall, Running Man, or any other Philip K. Dick thing you know a Minority Report all that stuff. Oh yeah, I I like that scene. It, it definitely brings to mind stuff like Blade uh, Blade Runner. Yeah. This and I I just love that this new version of a cantina. This is what a high class mm-hmm. cantina looks like as opposed to Tatooine you know a saloon. And I like this I like that place a lot and I love how. I love the guy trying to sell uh, <laughs> Obi Wan death sticks, aka yes. cigarettes, and I, I, I flatter think that is a hilarious moment. Yes, he, he's like, you don't want to sell me death. He's just, he does the Jedi mind trick. Yeah, you want to go home and rethink death. your life. Yeah. I want to go home and rethink my life. That's the, that's funny. Yes, I, that was great. And you know, those kind of like over the top, beat you over the head, making a statement moments in movies usually make me groan. I'm like, just shut up and entertain me. I don't, I don't read, really, but in that case, I'm like, yeah, you know, that's kind of funny. That that's some, there's some humor in that. And that's, that's a good joke. And you know, and it's a great way to play it off because it, it's the same way Obi-Wan was in the cantina in the first movie. He acted like he didn't care what was around him. And that's the thing about Obi-Wan Kenobi that you McGregor has got to live up to is that Obi-Wan always walks into a situation acting like he's been there. Like, yep, yeah, I got it. You know, no problem. You know, and, and he's, totally at home with it and he he tells anakin go find where the bounty hunter went what are you gonna do i'm gonna go get a drink <laughs> and I'm like, I, mean, I need to take the edge off after catching you through traffic <laughs> a couple of yeah. times and so i like that i like the way that worked and you also see a little prelude to the you know the arm cutting scene from the first oh, yeah. movie the bounty hunter sneaks up tries to pull a weapon and woom woom and i loved it too I th- i'm glad it didn't bleed this time because they bought explain that but i thought that was hmm. great they just cut the arm off and then everybody's like yeah, they stop and then they just go back to doing what they're doing. Very Wild West saloon, you know. Oh yeah, and a lot of people don't like the line. I like it when Anakin says "Jedi business, go back to your drinks." Like uh, to show that these guys that that was a very cop moment. Like that, yes. that's where the Jedi are. They are the police of this of this universe, and I I like that moment a lot. Of course, have to mention, uh, and this is I don't know whether people groan or laugh, but I still smirk when Obi Wan says. Why do I get the feeling you're, that you're going to be the death of me? I mean, I just that when I in the theater that got an enormous laugh because yes. they just played it off. It's just a random line, like it means nothing. He just he's just kidding around. But I I think that's funny. Well, see, I, and I like wry humor like that that calls back to things that fans of the series will remember. There's a a moment in one of the the. Harrison Ford Jack Ryan movies where his kids playing with a, a little toy submarine and he goes I can't get the boat to work daddy he's like no that's a submarine trust me I know that's a submarine <laughs> and, and Harrison Ford does that again in one of the Indiana Jones films I think it's in Crusade they're like what is that he's like that's the Ark of the Covenant trust me I know yeah. you know <laughs> and you know, I like that kind of winking nodding to the audience because look at this point we all know how this is going to end Darth Vader is going to die in his son's arms as the second Death Star is blown up you're not going to rewrite that for me you're telling me how we got to there with these backstories. So 
it, because of that, have some fun with it. You know, show us that things do sort of repeat themselves. And I know as much people, people hate this from Lucas because he talks about, it's like poetry. It rhymes. You know, that's one of the lines from the, the uh, behind the scenes stuff people like to throw back in his face. And I'm like, yeah, no, it kind of does. Like series movies, series sequels are supposed to do this. Like that's the idea. You know, I, I don't have a problem with that if it's done again on the rye and kind of sly and not just completely obvious, you know, and I think it was the way that those lines all work is they just flow out and then you laugh and you kind of move on, you know, and if you've seen it more than once, it's it's something to enjoy as you're going along the way and revisiting. Oh, yeah, it's, it's absolutely. I love moments like that. They didn't like Phantom Menace didn't have those moments like in mm-hmm. Dark Knight Rises when he's showing him the, uh, the the bad planes. I guess, Mr. Wayne, it does come in black. Harkening <laughs> back two films ago, the Batman Begins. Yeah, that sort of that wink to the fan. I love stuff like that. Or like yep. in Skyfall when. When uh, Q shows up and it's like a ra- oh, radio and a gun, huh? It's like, well, it's like, well, what are, what are you expecting? An exploding pen? Yeah. <laughs> like, I, I love those kind of winks. Yeah, that's that's great. That kind of stuff shows that you're aware of your own history in some ways, which yeah. is not a bad thing to be aware of. I'm I'm fine with that. I don't have any problem with it. And I, I like what they run through here. And I liked it as she's telling them. You know, what happens and where they come from, you see the two approaches. You know, Obi-Wan is kind of working it out over, and Anakin immediately goes to bad cop and starts screaming at her. Because <laughs> that's what a teenager would do. That's how he would react. He's impetuous. And, you know, Obi-Wan has to calm him down, and then she gets shot in the neck with a yeah. dart. And I'm like, man, that was badass right there from, you know, not Boba Fett, but looks like Boba Fett <laughs> shot her in the neck. I'm like, that, well, that was cool. I, I want to know more about that dude. And that sets us off on the next part of our story. Cause the Jedi council then decides, okay, Obi-Wan, you go figure out who this bounty hunter was and what this darts all about. And then Anakin, you take, you know, Amidala back to Naboo and keep her out of trouble because she can't be here right now while people are trying to kill her. We can't protect her and do all this other crap at the same time. And I'm like, well, okay, that's a smart move because in every other movie, they'd all go, well, we'll all just gather around you so we can all get picked off one by one. <laughs> no. Leave the planet. <laughs> and go somewhere else where it's safer. <laughs> yes, that is a good idea. Oh, yeah. And, that's, and this is, yeah, where the two stories uh, split apart uh, is where the movie got uh, even better to me, because uh, you know, because uh, yeah, we get to see that Anakin. That's a big thing with Anakin is that we, if he stuck with Qui Gon Jinn, he would not have turned into Darth Vader. Comes down to it, I think Obi Wan is just flat out not a good uh, Jedi Master. He's not good at training this guy because if he was, he would have been like he would have been the first person to see all this stuff. So all that, so Anakin not being with Obi Wan when they go back to Tatooine. Uh, is what uh, help, it drives him even further towards the dark side. And uh, them being apart makes the story better for me. Well, I agree with that, too. And the thing is, is you say Obi-Wan's not a very good mentor. Again, I don't think he's had enough experience to be a good one. Uh, it's kind of like he doesn't really know what he's doing, you know? And he's trying to figure it out. And he he's still trying to – I mean, he had to basically convince Yoda to let him be a full Jedi, you know, let me take the trials. Oh, you're not ready yet. And then they have that conversation. Well, three minutes later, okay, I guess you're ready. You know, and then it's badly done. But let's not forget that. That also the leadership at the top is not exactly great because as we'll come to learn here, the entire Jedi Council is being blinded by the dark side of the Force. And they don't even realize it. Like yeah. they sense a lot of stuff, but they don't even realize what their biggest problem is. And that is even scarier when you just realize that 
the order that the Jedi's had protected and in a lot of ways had set up had eroded underneath them and they weren't even aware of it. And that often happens as republics fall. The people that are at the center of it don't even realize what the problem is until it's too late. And I like how that plays out, and I like the fact that we split these guys up too, because if you keep them together, Obi-Wan is always there to call on Anakin or call him down. And Anakin more or less goes along with it. But when he's off on his own, and he's got his own wares to be about, and let's face it, he's with the girl of his dreams, and he's totally gaga over, he starts to, you know, make some really poor decisions in life. And it takes him down a very, very dark path. And we can get to that, but I, I was fine with them splitting them up too, because now you give us two things to follow in act two. Where's this bounty hunter business all about, which as we'll learn, it's not even really the story. And then, you know, what's it going to be like when you put the two star crossed lovers on a planet together? Let's start with the bounty hunter story. And we'll get to the love story in a minute. We, we go to this planet, uh, Camino. Mm-hmm. Uh, well, let's start how he gets there first. So we got to talk about the weird dude in the in the. Oh right, right, right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. This guy, Dax. That is a scene I I really like. That is absolutely right out of film uh, film noir thing of Obi Wan, you know, going to you know, some some seedy little diner because the guy who's working there happens to know everything there is, I guess, about <laughs> uh, uh, intergalactic weapons technology, <laughs> and it's some. I, I love. I just love that character. Uh, and I noticed this definitely uh, came to mind. The performances of the CG characters in these three films, uh, even the bad one of Jar Jar Banks, those characters emote and act better than the characters, uh, uh, than the live action characters. Like this guy, Dax, the way he says, you know, it's like, well, you can talk to these uh, cloners, depends on how big your pocketbook is. And he just kind of laughs a little bit. That chuckle, that's a, like, that's a nice little bit of CG performance. Uh, and it's just like, why can't someone else do that in these movies other than the <laughs> CG characters? But I love that scene. I just love the design of that guy, this big, fat, four-armed guy <laughs> who's wearing very much 20th century clothes, a white T-shirt. Yes, and an apron. <laughs> And pants and shoes. I mean, it's it's totally you know not like anything else in Star Wars. But I just love that character. Like some you know kind of not sleazy, but this greasy diner owner's got stains over his shirt and a mustache too, which I like. I yes. just I just I just love that character. Well, you know, you talked about it there. It's a very film noir thing. I'll tell you what else it reminded me of. I'm a big fan of a couple of the Law and Order spinoffs, SVU, and particularly Criminal Intent. And the thing I love a lot about Criminal Intent, and they didn't do it so much at the end, but the early seasons was the story would start out on one thing, and then it would as they were investigating it would take this huge left turn and turn out to be something completely different. And that's basically what happens to Obi-Wan Kenobi here. He goes to figure out who's this bounty hunter trying to kill Amidala, and he discovers an army being built right under their noses. Uh, apparently at their own request that they didn't know about it, the Jedi Council. So, I mean, what a great mystery. But it always starts, all those shows and this too, always starts with a conversation between a guy that knows things that you wouldn't think he would know <laughs> that sets the hero on his journey. But there's always one of those characters. I love those characters. I, th there's some of the best characters that you find in noir film and things like that are these people that just sort of pop up and they do their scene and then they're gone. We never see Dax again. We know nothing else about him know nothing about his and obi-wan's relationship other than they have one 
and that he clearly is not going to steer Obi-Wan wrong. And Obi-Wan even calls him later a trusted friend. So obviously there was something that happened in you know, the last several years that those two ran into each other. And I like that it's not filled in for me, that it's just told in those little moments there, that little three-minute scene in the diner. And you're right, the CG performance there, fantastic. I, I liked all of that. I liked the voice performance there, too. I liked that whole bit that sets him off on this adventure. Oh, yeah. I'll say, too, I think McGregor is way more into this than he was last time. And he's even said in like the behind-the-scenes stuff, he likes that he gets to go on a little detective mission this time. He actually gets stuff to do besides stand around and go, uh, have we picked up another pathetic life form? You know, like he yeah. just looked so bored last time until that final fight with Darth Maul. This time, he's, he's into it from the beginning. Oh, yeah, because he literally, you know, on the quest to go to Tatooine, uh, they bring Jar Jar and leave Obi-Wan on the ship. And it's it's just and watching Phantom Menace again, I was like, you have Obi-Wan Kenobi. You're you're doing all of this to help like half the so much of the prequels is setting up specifically that character. And you leave him on the ship for like uh, 30 minutes yes. to do nothing. Like you don't even think maybe he can come in handy, perhaps whatever you're going to do <laughs> yes. more than the more than Jar Jar, perhaps. But but yeah, absolutely. His role. I heard I heard a lot more of Alec Guinness in McGregor's voice in, in this mm. one. I, I I saw more of his mannerisms and so on. And I think yeah, McGregor's performance as Kenobi uh, improved a lot in, in this movie. It's a lot more fun to watch, and that does send him to the planet Camino. And I, well, it actually sends him on a little side mission first. The, you know, his friend tells him this is where it's from and where it's located, and he goes to look it up in the Jedi archives. And it's not there. And like the snotty librarian, you know, <laughs> tells him, well, if it's not here, you must be wrong. You know, I hate her. I'm like, man, I, I knew that woman in college, too. Damn it. Like, <laughs> I knew that book wasn't there. But anyway, I think we've all had that moment. But I love how he goes to Yoda and Yoda's teaching a class of young, young Jedi. And this is the annoying kid moment of the movie because there's always yeah. one, you know, but it, it's OK. But I like how Yoda plays off jokes on it, too. Like Obi-Wan's lost a planet. What do you think we should do to help him? <laughs> and I love how the kid's like, well, somebody must have erased it. And I'm like, well, everybody in the audience just said, no shit. <laughs> you know, don't, don't we all know that? But it brings out a point that I think is is underlining this, is that as good as Obi-Wan is and as smart and resourceful as he is, he didn't even think of that. The most simplest answer, right? Because he is so trusting in the good side of the Force and that who would ever go and erase part of the Jedi archives? Why would people do that? If you've lived in Utopia, it's hard to yeah. believe that there's anything but. And I like that they're actually true to that. Whether you like that or not, at least they're honest about the character motivations and the reasons these people make the decisions they do are based on those elements. I actually will give the film credit for sticking to that. Oh, yeah. That is a good thing about about Kenobi and the Jedi in general is yes. the, this, you know, Republic, you know, this uh, a much more civilized age, as, as Kenobi calls it in, in episode four, is that that's kind of the down. That is what starts the downfall is that these are such it's such a good society. The last thing they would expect is someone from the inside uh, bringing everything down. So it was clear that all Palpatine had to do was hit the delete key on one <laughs> on one planet. And that's as simple as it is. And just that, yeah, no one would suspect that right and, and they would never notice it until they were looking for it and who would ever you know get caught looking for it i mean that's the idea and he, you know i love their answer too is like follow the yellow brick road gravity hole 
you know, <laughs> go where it would be, you know, and you should get there. And I actually, I like this. We didn't talk much about the ship designs last time, but I really like Obi Wan ship and the fact that it's a small ship, but it has to have like an external booster to be able to yeah. get into hyperspace, and then he can, you know, leave that floating around with the monolith above the planet while he goes down and checks out what's going on on uh, on Camino. But I, I like the ship design. But we get to the planet Camino, and I want to tell you, probably my. My favorite part of the movie is when Obi-Wan's on Kamino because as much as the Cloud City was a cool idea, the rain planet where you have to live above the oceans and pod-like things, what a grand idea. I I thought it looked amazing, and I thought it was a a genius way of of playing this off. Oh, yeah. I love this planet. Uh, I mean, this is just with me. There's something about the vastness of the ocean that genuinely – creeps me out this idea that like if you were just in the middle of the ocean how it's just endless like there's more of the ocean on the planet than there is anything else so the idea of a water planet genuinely frightens me and i just all i can think of is what's living on that on that planet what's in the water like when that water bird comes flying out of the ocean like that so what else is in there a planet this big there's got to be some massive ass sharks living in that (laughs) yeah that kind of getting my imagination going like that is something that phantom menace didn't do but right away that planet which is clearly something you could not do in the original trilogy you could only do that with cg is this water planet but i love that planet it's very much cloud city i never thought of that the other you know cloud city this is water city all the buildings have to be hovering above the water or they're connected to something under the water but whatever but uh I love how the outside is all, you know, rainy, stormy ocean, but inside it is all nothing but fluorescent white, not a speck of dirt anywhere. Cleaner than even the, you know, the the epi- the, the ship at the beginning of episode 4. Like it's just uh it's like a it's like a like a hospital. It's so clean. And oh yeah, it's, I, it's and I think creepy. These these Camino uh, cloners, I'm not the I'm not the person to say this, but MMM commentaries, they pointed out how these guys this this these group of people are genuinely frightening. How yes. nice and polite and calm they are about how yeah you know you give us some money we'll build you an army. We're not going to ask you what you want it for. We'll just you got the money. We'll give you a hundred. We'll give you two hundred thousand soldiers to do whatever you want. So this is like again this is like step one. That is the thirty step journey to you know the empire. And yeah. like when we see row upon row of these soldiers in the very stormtrooper-esque outfits it's like that's a great that's a moment for people clearly uh, for people who've watched episodes four five and six to say like oh here we go this so, is it yeah the genesis of the stormtrooper you know where did they come from and now you get it right here and what's the even better part is you know you say it's step one it's actually step 21 we just didn't realize the other 20 had already happened Mm. Like that's the scary part of this. And it's the part that keeps intriguing me. And I don't know that it's totally answered either. And that may be part of the genius of the story is that you don't give it all away, but Obi-Wan Kenobi shows up and they're like, Oh, we didn't ever think we'd get you here. And he's like, okay and so he just plays along with it like well sure i was i was coming i was a little delayed and they start laying on him about okay master sifidius ordered this and i was like well wait a minute who's that again (laughs) and even he goes when did he order that again and i love how he just has to play dumb and ask him okay so now what did he say he wanted when he ordered it well an army for the republic of course it's like and when did he order that 10 years ago he's been dead for the last 12 So it's like, okay, well, how did how did that even happen? And I love how, again, the Jedi are undermined by their own trusting nature. 
you know, and you're starting to see that happen here. And it's, I don't know, it's, it's, uh, if you're going to watch the good fall and fall apart, um, it needs to at least be intriguing and keep you interested. And this definitely kept me interested. This whole mystery of him trying to figure this out. Uh, it was great. Yeah. And just on another note, as a sci-fi idea, mm-hmm. this idea of the basis for this entire clone army is supposedly, you know, the, the universe's greatest bounty hunter. Yeah. That I think is a fantastic idea that that's what you base the army on, not on a Jedi Knight, not on a general soldier, but on a killer. Right. And and then you take away his ability to disagree with you. Like they talk about how we genetically engineer him to be completely obedient to orders. So they don't have any rebellion inside of them. So, you know, they're just like the dro the droid army, except they don't suck. <laughs> and they can't be cut in half so easily. So because they are the baddest bounty hunter of all time. So they've got all the physique without any of the, the quirky, you know, droid problems where you shut down the main ship and they're all gone. And they're also not going to question, you know, what you tell them to do. That is a great idea. Oh, yeah. Like, again, when they say, oh, yeah, and they'll uh, follow every order uh, without hesitation. It's like, oh, no, uh, like that that can't be good that never leads anywhere good it's like well they'll do anything you tell them and so you know exec, you know order 66 comes along and then you know get to there yeah exactly so but yeah i like the idea though but let's we've introduced it we need to talk about it now jango fett the bounty hunter this is all based on the father of boba fett the only thing he wants besides his pay is an unaltered clone hmm. That didn't have any of the genetic modifications. Didn't, in other words, one that didn't have the advanced aging because they can grow them up in like seven years or something. They say to full adult, and so he just wanted we wanted a son without the problem of having a wife. <laughs> That's pretty much <laughs> what what Django says he wants. And of course, I love the stare down between Obi Wan Kenobi and Django Fett in the scene when they take Obi-Wan to his little apartment or whatever to talk to him and Tamura Morrison, I know from nothing else except this, the star Wars movies he's in, but he has an intimidating face and Ewan McGregor can have a very intimidating look with those big blue piercing eyes. And the way those two are sizing each other up, it's like, I know what I'm saying is bullshit and you know, it's bullshit. And I know you're feeding me more bullshit and we're just going to wait this out until one of us pulls a weapon. Like, that's exactly how that came off to me. I love that scene. Oh, yeah. Tamura Morrison uh, is one of the better actors in these prequels. And uh, very sad to see him go uh, in this movie. But he's uh, a lot of, like, I just love that it's a, a very good performance. I love that he's a bounty hunter, but he's not, like, some hideous, scarred. He's actually a perfectly handsome-looking guy. And I also, I like how, uh, as a Star Wars fan, like, you look at him. It's like, well, and we get the answer. That's what Boba Fett looks like when he takes his helmet off. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I, like, I just I did not expect uh, him to look like that. And it's a nice surprise. And I do, I love when he when he tells when he's just he he clearly just he clearly wants to kill this guy Obi Wan because he knows he's sniffing around for him. Mm-hmm. And he says, "Well, I'll see ya. Always a pleasure to meet a Jedi. That's a great. I think that's a great yeah. uh, line delivery. And the next thing he says is, "Becky, things we're leaving." Yeah. You know, and he's like, we got to get out of here, kid. So and what we'll see is during that escape, Boba Boba has already been taught how to fly the, you know, the, the ship. He's a pretty decent shot. Well, he's not a really good shot. Let's take that back. <laughs> he's as bad a shot as the rest of the stormtroopers. Yeah. Maybe that's his one thing because Jango's not a good shot either. Maybe that's the one part they should have looked into. Cause he's a really yeah. shitty shot. Maybe it's not the helmet after all, Kurt. <laughs> so, it's actually genetic. So 
But beyond that, you know, it's it's like they. Uh, I'm not going to. I'm not going to throw some basketball player on the bus. Anyway, it's it's like a, I mean, it is like it's a genetic thing. But no, I like that though. That he's got that. You know, they say his son is you know non altered or whatever, but still he's following orders straight up. And you get to see the genesis of Boba Fett, and you also understand where his hatred for Jedi's and anybody that hang around with Jedi scum mm-hmm. comes from. And by the end of this, I mean you you see it playing his day. Yeah, uh, having young Boba Fett. Now, when I talked about how Lucas might have learned his lesson from Phantom Menace, he didn't learn his lesson when it comes to Pat Oswalt stand up covers this. It's like, look, we don't no one gives a shit what Boba Fett looked like when he was 10. Make him 20. Make make the Boba Fett in Empire be a 50-year-old guy. Mm-hmm. Like let him be that old. So he it should have been like a I would have been fine if he was the exact same guy. If it was if it was clearly If they had done the thing they did in the social network with Army Hammer, where you just had the yeah. the stand in and they put his face over him. But I don't know that they could have done that back then, but I see what you're Yeah, saying. I suppose. I suppose not, but yeah. But yeah, uh, having young Boba Fett, it's also it's like it's not he's not a good actor. This guy yeah, playing the, well, Fett. none of the kids. I mean, again, you talk about people not giving anything to do and yeah. no direction at all. It, it takes something to be able to direct kid actors and to get good performances out of them. It's the thing that the people that run Game of Thrones should yeah. be most accredited for is all the kids that are on that show are freaking yeah. amazing. You know, so right. I, I'm I'm okay with the fact that he's not that good of an actor or whatever. I don't know that I needed to see young Boba Fett, but I kind of like the fact that they threw it in there. And then they didn't really they didn't really beat us over the head with it too much. Like, they could have done way too much with him, but they didn't do a lot. So somewhere along the way, they realized we need to edit that guy's lines down. We need to just keep it really <laughs> short and sweet. Because, again, Boba Fett doesn't need to say a lot. You already know yep. how cool he is. So you just need to see where he comes from. You want to give him a little bit of his angst. Okay, fine. But the thing that gets me, man, is the fight between Kenobi and Django is awesome. Yeah. I I have seen that fight copied now, I realize, in a lot of Avengers Marvel hmm. films. I've seen that same fight a lot. And, I, you know, it, it plays pretty good, though. I, for as dated as this is now, 12 years of CGI ahead, it's still a really, really good fight. Absolutely. That is one of the best fights in all six films. And it's uh, I love that the fact that it's happening in a fight in the rain, which we haven't had. Uh, and it's uh, Jedi versus Bounty Hunter, where the Bounty Hunter, but the Bounty Hunter gets away. The Bounty, like uh, a Jedi is not invincible. This is this is the one guy who manages to defeat Obi-Wan Kenobi. And this absolutely came to mind. I think Lucas is a with what he does with Jango Fett is set is quasi apologizing for how weak Boba Fett is in Jedi because I was watching this the stuff Jango Fett is doing in Attack of the Clones is what Boba Fett should have been doing in Return of the Jedi how uh, resilient he is and how good he is with using his gadgets and what a great fighter he is Mm -hmm. uh, and what a genuine badass Jango Fett is that's what Boba Fett is supposed to be Uh, and we just you know of course we don't get any of that in uh, in Return of the Jedi he's taken out you know Instantly against a Jedi, or no, you know, no, he doesn't even get taken out by a Jedi. He gets taken out with a spear and his jetpack and so on. Mm-hmm. Uh, but yeah, that fight scene is fantastic. No, it was, it was great. And I, the thing that's really fun about it is, like you've already mentioned it, is Kenobi doesn't win. I mean, he doesn't die, so I guess that's a win. But 
he doesn't kill him with that lightsaber either. It also answered an internal question I had. What would a lightsaber do in the rain? Would it just spark hmm. all the time? And the answer is no. So now, now I know. You know, so, but but I like that. I like the way that it. You know, he he realizes. Django realizes. I can't let him get that thing in his hands. So I'm gonna rip it out of his hands every way I possibly can. Yeah. And I and I like how you know they replay it in Batman Begins. The you know the the uh, what do you call them? The forearm uh, blades or whatever that you can use to hang onto the cliff or whatever. Right. They're doing that falling down the thing here. I was like, ah, Nolan watched this movie too. Yeah. So I was like, ah, see, see, I like that though. I like the whole fight. And I like how it ends with them, you know, Obi-Wan essentially throwing a slider ball and getting the uh, tracker thing on Django's ship so he can follow him later because he knows, well, I can't beat you now, but I'll get you later. You know, and I'm like, well, okay, that's the sly Jedi. That's what I would expect out of a Jedi knight. And I, I thought it was good. It was good, good fight again. And when they chase each other from oh, yeah. the asteroid field and start shooting at each other and stuff, I like that too. I thought that was really well done. Oh, yeah. And another side note, this, this occurred to me with that fight is – I think literally the setting of that fight with Jango Fett, you could have easily done that exact same fight with Luke and Boba Fett in Empire mm-hmm. with him getting away in Cloud City. That just that just occurred to me. But yeah, and I really do like the asteroid fight too with those these concussive sonic boom grenades. Unbelievable, fantastic sound design in that where it's yes. like they like, like kind of expand, silence, sonic blast. And it's like that's a that's a space weapon. Like instead of in just the having theater, a, and yeah. even watching it now. Oh, yeah. Well, instead of just having laser bolts that cut through stuff, you know, you would use something that would use the vastness and emptiness of space against you. That's a great weapon. You know, like that's a good idea. I, again, the ideas behind all of this are so much more thought out, it feels like. Like hmm. the story is just light years ahead of where we were last time. Yeah, that like uh, space fight scene is right away better than any action scene in 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 Phantom Menace, aside from maybe the lightsaber fight, but that's a fantastic, again, with Boba Fett's ship, that is still Boba Fett's ship, uh, doing all this stuff that it probably should have been doing, you know, uh, 30 years ago. Well, maybe, and maybe they couldn't do it 30 years ago, or he didn't maybe. trust the way it looked, or whatever, but I'm with you, it looks great now, and it makes you go, oh, I wish they could have done it, you know, then. Yeah. So... But, you know, it is what it is. But I like the story here, and I like what we learn, and what Obi-Wan relays back to the council is that, uh, you know, I thought Master Sifo-Diz was dead, and what's he (laughs) doing ordering a clone army? Did y'all authorize this? And Samuel L. like, immediately says, oh, hell no. I mean, he doesn't say that, but he does. And I'm like, he answered that way too fast. And what yeah. that means to me is like, well, I don't know shit, but I'm telling this guy no. Because I don't want this junior you know, representative in the house to know we got problems up here <laughs> on the hill. Like That's what that felt like to me. It was like, well, we may or may not have, but you ain't going to ask me that question. Like, I, I like that it, it was almost a put-you-in-your-place thing. Yeah. And that, that happens a lot with the Jedi. And I, I don't know. I, I read it that way this time watching it, and I may be totally wrong, but I thought that was cool. And, of course, how this army gets put into use is a very another uh, way that is I think is Lucas responding to Phantom Menace. Now, I'm not the first person to say this, but I th- think – the fact that Jar Jar is filling in for Padme. So she, he is now the senator from this, and he can have the senator powers. So he puts forth, let's give Chancellor Palpatine emergency powers and make him, you know, inf- make him be able to do whatever he wants. 
Jar Jar Binks, the most hated character in all of Star Wars, gets the ball rolling on the Emperor becoming the Emperor and creating the Empire and bringing everything down. That cannot be a coincidence. Well, well, he is guilted into it by the blue guy standing on Palpatine's right. You know, yeah. if only Simon Ramadala was here to, you know, propose yeah. such sweeping legislation while they're looking over at him like, "Hey, moron, why don't you do it?" Yeah. <laughs> and and the, oh, I mean, he's seen too. The, oh God, they gave. Him lines again. I was like, stop letting George R. talk. Yeah. This is somebody cut him in half. But if 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 Lucas is going to throw us all a bone and say, well, if you want to hate this guy, let me give you a real good yeah. reason to. Yeah. Then, okay, I'm I'm fine with that. I actually have always read that as Lucas is like, well, damn it, this guy is important whether y'all like it or not. <laughs> so, and it's probably more of that. But if I'm if we're going to be happy with going, well, this is all George R. damn fault, then I'm okay with that too. Because it's it, that is what happens, and that that leads us to the end of Act Two. But we got to talk about the other half of Act Two now, which yes. is going on concurrently with the Obi Wan story, and that is the love story going on on the planet Naboo. The part that most I would say most Star Wars fans like to pick on and hate is this reading of Hallmark cards back and forth between <laughs> Natalie Portman and Hayden Christensen. Uh, well, okay, now we already know the outcome of Hoover Anakin Skywalker falls with if you yet figured out it was her yet well the spoiler so you know now you know so you already know where this where this ends so how do you get these people together and have anybody care at all and the thing that works about this for me and I know I'm stepping out on thin ice here but the thing that works about this for me is that you see that the only calming influences in Anakin's life are his mother, who was ripped away from him when he was way too young, and then in this film will be you know, ripped away from him violently as she dies. Obi-Wan Kenobi, who is a surrogate father, but not a very good one, because he himself is not very good at what he's supposed to do. And this woman, who is incredibly conflicted, because she is nuts about this guy, but she is so sworn to her own line of duty, and what she is as a senator and stuff, and she cares about what he's supposed to be as a Jedi enough to think we could never be together. And so she is fighting it the whole time while he has pretty well made up his mind. I can be in love with you and be a Jedi. I'm just going to you know, show you this over and over. And she is this other calming influence to him. And I like the fact that the way that they build their relationship is through Anakin telling her, I care about you. I tell you care about me. They have conversations about politics. They disagree about stuff, but they can laugh about it. They joke around with each other. They cut up a little bit. She kisses him and regrets it. And then he lets her know, you should have never done that because now you have started something that you, you know, I, I'm not ever going to get over you. Why would you do that to me? And it's a little stalkery, sure. But I've known guys that like went out with the girl, you know, and that was way out of their league. And the girl like gave them the, you know, the sympathy date. And then they were telling them like, "Look, you're going to wind up with me. You just need to come to, you know, grips with it." There can be something said about good confidence like that. And they're very happy couples, you know, to this day. So I mean, I, I I've always read this as that's exactly how he's playing this. He knows what he wants, and he's going to work it to however he's got to work it to get it. I kind of went into watching this movie again expecting to roll my eyes during all of the romance stuff because that is that's the first thing people bring up right away with with what why they think clone sucks the romance stuff and I'll be honest I thought it was good I thought it was the writing of the actual and the performance of the dialogue mm-hmm. not great but the story the character element of it of this is how these two fall in love and why 
that works perfectly. Like this, this is how Luke and Leia's mother and father met and fell in love. That works for me 100%. I love how their uh, relationship uh, builds up realistically. It's given time to to build up. They don't just start the movie uh, um, uh, madly or, or how does she say it, uh, truly deeply in love. Uh, we get to see, we give like you know we uh, we get breaks from the action story for this this romance story and it works for me and I like their dialogue scenes I like Anakin talking about it's poorly delivered but I like how he says how he hates sand mm-hmm. like he just he loves being on you know the beautiful uh, lake place like Naboo and how it's so different from sand. Like it's a stupid line. It's like it's coarse and it gets everywhere. That is such a horrible. Oh, line. it is. But but I want to tell you, man, I love the way he plays it because he gives her this little smirk when he says it. Like, and you remember, I'm from a planet full of sand, right? It's almost yeah. like he winks at her when he does it. I've always read that as like, well, that's really ironic because you come from a planet of sand, yeah. <laughs> you know? And like that, it's it's funny that he would say that to her. I again, I find that as part of just the wry humor that it works. That yeah. I, that I love that. That was funny. Works for me, and also I like that their their, uh, their political dialogue. Like again, oh yeah, the, it's it's not the greatest, but when Anakin's talk, like she says, you know, well, how would you run the universe? And he says, well, we need one person in place to make all the decisions. And he's hold, like, hold well, on. that he sounds. Said, he says two things. He says we have a, a group that debates things and decides things. And she said, well, that's what we have now. And he said, yeah. no, we don't. It's totally corrupted. And she said, well, yeah, well, that's the problem is you can't get everybody to agree. And he said, well, then they should be made to. That's when he gets into the, well, that's when you need Hitler to come along. Yeah. <laughs> you know, and that's and, where, yeah, whoop, scary. So. Oh, yeah. And, and she says, well, what you're saying, that's a dictatorship. That's no good. Yeah. And he and I love how he says, well, well, if it works. And he kind of has a sly smile on his face. I completely forgot about that moment is that that is 100%. You can almost have the Empire theme playing when he, when he says that. Well, if it works. <laughs> yes. So, I think that's a great line. Oh, and I think it is. I think their political discussion is it's actually advancing the story. You know, yeah. it's their relationship, but this is what's happening. The debate in the in the Senate and the debate amongst the galaxies and stuff, and really where the Republic is now, is that it everybody would love it to be this representative Republic democracy, all this stuff. But that doesn't work, because clearly they got problems that are caused by their corrupted democracy. And so what he says actually gives weight to a lot of what Palpatine says when he's taken over those emergency powers. I love democracy. I don't want to see it die, so I will relinquish this as soon as I can. And I mean, that's like every politician that says, as soon as we get the schools paid for, we'll undo that tax. I don't know what it's like in Canada, Kurt, but we yeah. smoke and drink a lot down here for the kids in the school, because that's when they want to raise taxes on <laughs> stuff. They hit the alcohol and tobacco here. And I mean, I, I've seen that speech a hundred times, and I like, though, that that's a recurring theme throughout all of this stuff, and that these two are just having it as a side conversation with each other. I thought that was great. I mean, and and the fact that you, you see that they're t- you know really different in the way they look at things, but yet they still have commonality amongst mm-hmm. each other. They're, they're both not satisfied with what currently is in place, but what they're not ready to do is join each other's side. She thinks diplomacy ultimately will work, and he thinks we just need somebody with a strong hand to get in there and get everybody on the right path. And that's what he talks about with her. And I I see them slowly but surely falling in love. The most painful scene is the one when they're like by the fire at night, hmm. and he's telling her all that, you you tortured me to my soul. I'm like, God, this is the worst yeah. dialogue ever. It's terrible. Like that, I'm like, oh, that's a bad scene. Like As much as I wanted to just you know, go with it, and I mostly did go with it, that one I can't defend. That's a bad yeah. scene. 
And, it, and I'll be honest, I don't know that it was needed. It That could have been cut. Like, this movie's long anyway. Like, did we yeah. need that three minutes? I don't know that I needed it, so. Real, like, I like how their relationship, this is, and the, what's kind of the key to their relationship is they can't fall in love because of how effed up Anakin is. Because as soon as he goes to sleep, he starts having uh, nightmares that we hear. Uh, this is a thing I love about him. His relationship with the Jedi is... He taught in the start of the film. Anakin's talking to Obi Wan about these dreams I'm having about my mother. Mm-hmm. These like these visions I'm having of these like they're not. I'm having some bad dreams about my mother. And I think Obi Wan says something like, "Oh, don't worry about it. It'll pass." Mm-hmm. And it's like I watched that. It's like, "Oh, you piece of shit!" Like, what do you mean it'll pass? Like she's yeah. like she's a slave. And that like there's so many things about this where I finally understood. I finally understood why in all those films where Yoda says, "Oh, he's too old to start the training." And even Jake Lloyd, they're saying, oh, he's, eh, he's too old. Mm-hmm. And I realize they do that. They get you when you're born so that you have no attachments. Exactly. Can't make any decisions based on that. So you can't possibly have a more undesirable scenario for a Jedi than here's a guy who's taken away from his mother who is – he has in the back of his head all he's thinking of is my mother's back home and she's a slave and I can't do anything about it. So of course he's going to snap. Uh and he has these visions of – and the, what they do with Shmi Skywalker in this movie is like, whoa, that's dark. Because she's having visions where she is screaming his name. She doesn't know uh, that he can hear him. But he, she's just screaming his uh, his name wherever she is in pain. Mm-hmm. And, of course, watching the movie again, that uh, is a lot more disturbing because you know exactly what is being done to her. And how he's like – he totally just says, screw the mission – we have to go find my mother. I'll, I'll, have- I'll say this too about, about this thing with him and his mother and stuff like that. You know, my mother passed away last year, and I I will tell you now, I'm haunted by dreams of that, and just you know, I I have a recurring nightmare about it where I'm the only one around that realizes she's not really there, and I have to tell everyone. You know, like that's you know that's the nightmare I have, and I've I've shared that with other people, and they say, yeah, I've had a similar one, and I think everybody in the grieving process, that's part of what you go through, yeah. you know, and that's what Anakin is doing here. Is he because he has this extra sensory perception all this stuff, he does have premonitions, but he's got one side telling him to mind his feelings and just be totally logical, so cut himself off from emotion. When on the other hand, he realizes his emotion makes him really really good at what he does. Yeah. He reacts fast. He's great with a lightsaber. He can sense things in the other the room he uses that shit to his advantage and so he's he's mad because they're blowing because you know his mentor blows him off about it but then he gets mad at himself for you know being angry at his mentor because he says he's like a father to me but dadgummit he pisses me off a lot you know (laughs) and so he says that and then he's you know he tells his would-be girlfriend the same problems he's having and for the first time she shows a little bit of a sympathetic ear to him (laughs) about it and so i love his reaction is like you know what we're going to Tatooine. It's just as remote as Naboo. They're not going to find you there. We got to go figure out what happened to mom. And uh, you know what? I hated Watto last time. <laughs> the offensive character. I like how they threw him back in here and he's just kind of hanging out on the street as a bum now. Because that's kind of what he was anyway. And I love how you know Anakin walks up and is like, what's up, Watto? I think he says it in you know, foreign language or whatever, but that's pretty much what he says. <laughs> and then he picks up the droid and fixes it for him. And he, you know, that's how he figures out who he is. And he's like, where's yeah. my mother? And I actually, lo- I mean, they almost give you the Disney story here long before Disney bought Star Wars. Well, like, well, I, I had to sell her 
to a farmer, you know, to make ends meet. You know, it's just business. But hey, man, like that dude fell in love with her and married her. <laughs> you know, and they, hmm. like they they got a whole family now, and yeah, it's it's great. Go you know go check them out. <laughs> and hmm. that's like, well, wow, that could be the happy ending. I mean, he's gonna be like, wow, that why am I having these weird dreams? Yeah. Only to find out that yeah, everything was great till the friggin' you know Tuscan Raiders came along, yeah, and stole her. And I'm like, man, you know, we didn't really get much of the Sand People other than they scare easily, but then they you know they have strength in numbers and they always hmm. come back you know and we see them do that this time and what we find is that they've taken her as their you know slave or whatever and i yeah. mean what a horrible horrible agonizing bit of torture that shmi skywalker goes through oh yeah that definitely came to mind is uh watching it even watching it now i'm thinking man this is a movie that i mean like and you break it down this is a movie for kids and that is like how do you explain like, i would love to see the conversation of how do you explain that to a kid? Like what, so what did they do? Why is she dead? It's like, well, let's like, I, I, I might, I'm sure I didn't ask my dad, but I don't think he'd want to break it down. Exactly what happened. <laughs> yeah. Cause it's some search, it's some stuff out of the searchers. Yes. Uh, like this horror. I mean, it's just, you could, I mean, it, it's clear that just look on her face and how like she is like a broken human being. She's not even talking right. That came to mind. Just like, she's just, Everything she's been through has just destroyed her, mm-hmm. and it's like, whoa! It's 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 maybe the most darkest and miserable stuff that this entire series has done so far. No, this is incredibly dark, and it gets even darker when Anakin finds her. She dies, and he goes absolutely ballistic against the Sand People with that lightsaber. Yeah. I mean. He is straight up murdering people like, you know, people, creatures, whatever, because he is mad. That's the first time we've seen that happen in a Star Wars movie, if I'm not mistaken. Somebody that just starts killing folks because they're mad, you know, and I mean, he he goes completely Conan on them for about a minute there with that thing. I I find that scene to be incredibly disturbing and in the same light, very engaging. This scene. This this whatever two minute chunk where he sneaks into the Tuscan Raider and finds her and frees her, it's like all this ten year wait away from her. He's finally gotten back to her to save her, and he it's like it would have been better off if he if he if he didn't get these psychic calls and he never would have found her again. It would have been better if he was told, yeah, she's she died mm-hmm. to have him have her die in like she, uh, the, when she. She says it's just such a oh it gets me going when she just looks at him and says oh you're looks look you're so handsome it's like she's that tells me she's not talking right that's because she that's not the thing to say in this situation and the fact that she doesn't get to say any proper last words like you, you think she's about to say I love you goodbye mm-hmm. she just gets cut off and her head drops and she's dead well and you know that, that's what I love about it though because I'll tell you. You don't get final words a lot of the times, you know. That's why yeah. you got to say stuff while people are around, because you don't get that chance when the end is near a lot yeah. of the time. And I like that though. That gives this weight again for a movie that's a kids' film, you know. For yeah. to just sort of throw this at that, that's some deep shit <laughs> to be laying on people. I mean, I, I loved it, and I see why it sends him just completely over the edge. Everything about that scene, I haven't mentioned John Williams at all uh, for Phantom Menace, but this scene where when she dies, the music kind of swells he kind of puts his hands over her eyes and he looks down 
and he kick and he picks his eyes back up and he's got a Kubrick scare uh, Kubrick stare going where he's like the head's down but the eyes are pointing straight up and he's just like quivering with rage and the music a bit of music that we have not heard in Star Wars before it's very much a, a identical to a bit of music that's in a Minority Report in the scene where Tom Tom Cruise finally meets Leo Crow and is, is may or may not kill him great music and in Attack of the Clones it's pretty much the exact same music but <laughs> it's music that is like saying this is uh, this is the absolute birth of Darth Vader. This is what happens when you take when you mess with Darth Vader. When you take, I mean, this guy, you kill Darth Vader's mom. That's what this that music is. Is this is psycho? That's like psycho music. It's, it's like it's uh, it just screams crazy snapping music, and you know what's coming because we as an audience are sitting there. It's like this is a Jedi. This is a guy who knows how to use a lightsaber, and you just killed his mom. And so of course, what happens has to happen. Yeah, he takes out the whole camp. I mean, he takes like, oh man. And after, and later on, I mean, he brings Shami back. They bury her, and he has this whole confession scene to Padme in a in a scene in a place where we'll see Luke, you know, many years later, that moisture farm or whatever. He has this whole scene where he's telling her, "I didn't just kill him; I slaughtered him. The women, the children, all of them." That's why I said he went total Conan there. I mean, you know, Old Testament. You wipe the planet you know the place clean of them it, it was incredibly violent and i love how he, he just loses his shit while he's talking to her too he can't control himself you know he's like and i wanted every one of them to feel it you know and because damn it they deserve it you know i mean that's what he keeps saying and i'm like and she rightfully is looking at him like you're really scary right yeah now. that that absolutely that is another moment is maybe my favorite moment is everything from him finding his mother to that scene is fantastic. However, this comes back to my problems with the acting. Mm-hmm. I think what he says when he suddenly he's talking about Obi Wan's holding me back, but then he just stops and he's like, just starts looking at nothing. He's like, he's like, oh yeah, like he's just realizing I, I killed those people. I, 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 I killed. It's like he did what they, what the guys did in Platoon, where he just takes out a bunch of civilians as well as the, as the, the men. He's just like, I can't believe I just did that. Mm-hmm. But then he's like, I can't believe I just did that. But when I break it down. That was good, and I like I I slaughtered. They were animals, and I slaughtered them like animals. I just think the delivery. He's like like an he's saying it like an angry kid. If I were to direct that, I would say he needs to say that where Padme almost can't even hear him. Where he's saying it to himself, and he's almost maybe has a sly grin on his face, like he en- like he enjoyed that because mm-hmm. uh, instead of. Uh, coming off as angry should have come off as like no no yeah i did that and i'll do, I, and i do it again that's what i think that that moment should have been and when he says i hate them i would lose that line because yeah. it's like you think yeah you know? no, no, yeah that's but, that's a no duh line too no i'm I, I like your idea there kurt if he had played it like sly like well almost uh, dare i say like norman bates ish like well yeah. the girl was there and she was troubled and she had to die and the others will come mother you know like it's just like well it's it's what had to be done you know, if he if he went total logic Jedi on her and was like, "What? They killed my mother. They're animals. I took them out. The world's a better place for it." You know, like and if he had course, said that to her, to her, that would have even been scarier than I hate them. You know. Oh yeah. And of course, as a as a Star Wars scene, it's my it may be my favorite in this film because he says this like psychotic speech about how oh yeah I wanted I killed them and you know I slaughtered them and then what what music do we hear? We hear that Darth Vader Empire theme kick in. It's like, yeah, I I hear that moment. I just want to be like, Lucas, you finally did it. 
that's the moment. That's almost a moment you probably should have had in Phantom Menace. Just get the ball rolling on that. You know, Anakin oh. Skywalker is a dark, twisted guy. Because and- when that music kicks in, it's like. That's Darth. That is that is the birth of Darth Vader. Well, the the music kicks in because he starts saying things that will become prophetic over time. It's like you know what? I know I'm I'm good enough. I'm better than Obi Wan, and I could be and I could be that leader I was talking about with you in that field that one day. I could be that one that wouldn't wuss out when you know, bad things happen and all that kind of stuff. Like he's he's basically saying I can be what Palpatine said I could be. I could be the most powerful thing in the universe. <laughs> You know, and I actually kind of like it. I like that he gets drunk with his own power there a little bit. And they finally, of course, they bury his mother. They finally get back to the ship. And at this point, Obi-Wan has tracked the uh, the bounty hunter to Geonosis, the planet of the locust, I like to call it. <laughs> so <laughs> where he's, he sees the droid army being manufactured. He sees Count Dooku with the Separatists. He actually overhears a, a conversation where they're talking about, you know, they were the ones behind the assassination attempt, and they're trying to develop the new army. And he develop, he's trying to you know, radio this back. And I actually like that there's a, a, a fault in the space, you know, um, technology here is that, well, it can't reach completely across the galaxy. So he doesn't have enough cell phone bars or whatever to get back to. <laughs> so it's like, well, I'll call Anakin and he can forward my text message for me, which actually I kind of like. I thought that was pretty cool. And he leaves this little note. And of course, they get back to the ship and see it and they transmit it on. And he says, hey, there's a, you know, a, a giant army being created out here and I don't know what's going on. And he gets cut off in the middle of it because droids start attacking him. Yeah. And so you don't know what happened to him. And it's like a oh, crap, you know. And then we get to see Padme do something that's very Anakin like, I would say. Because this whole time, you know, he's he's drug her along to Tatooine and stuff like that. But she's been the one kind of hold back. And then she says, well, we got to go after Obi-Wan. He said, oh, no, 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 no. He told me straight up to protect you and to stay away. You know, I am not getting you anywhere near all of this. And she's the one that says, well, you know what? If you're supposed to protect me, then you got to go where I'm going to go. And I'm going after my friend. And I was like, okay. And I love that Loki gets her in the face like, that's a pretty good idea. (laughs) And then he sits in the pilot seat and they take off. And I I like that. I like that little moment between them because after all that wicked shit he laid on her back, you know, about the sand people and stuff, it didn't scare her away. Because I think deep down she's come around to the fact that you know, maybe I've been fighting this feeling too, but I can't fight this feeling anymore. You know, maybe she's (laughs) she's at the REO speed wagon moment. (laughs) Oh yeah, and that is a nice moment of uh, that the, of the uh, a nice bodyguard storyline. It's like, well, you got to follow me wherever I go. This is where I'm going. That's exactly. a nice part. And they show up, and they, oh, let's let's talk about Count Dooku and the Separatist plan here, because yeah. I got questions. All right, okay. who the hell's side is this dude on? <laughs> because he, he they capture Obi Wan, and he does the thing that every James Bond henchman does, which is funny because you know Christopher Lee was a James Bond bad guy, yeah. man with the golden gun. So that was that was I'm like this must have been like oh that to him, you know. Yeah. So he lays something on him that just blew my mind. I was like, what is it about the Sith apprentices that are all about? Why don't you join me? We'll overthrow my master and rule the yeah. galaxy together. And he says that to Obi Wan. I'm like, I saw that. That same shit in Cloud City. <laughs> so it's the same conversation. Yeah. But he, but I love this. He's like, my friend, the Republic has been taken over by the Sith. And I'm like, yeah, aren't you one of them? <laughs> but yeah. you're kind of fighting against them. So I don't get what's happening here. Please explain it to me. It was, even now, it's still a little bit confusing when he says, join me and we will destroy the Sith. So it makes me think, so is this, so is Dooku a good guy? Does he not know 
that Palpatine is that the guy he's working for is a Sith Lord. Like it, it definitely uh, it's a, it comes back to the a, a Phantom Menace confusion thing of like, okay, hold on, I don't know, I'm not sure on what is going on because Dooku, everything about him, he's setting himself up so much. Like you know, I was Qui Gon's, I was Qui Gon's uh, master. Uh, I was, you know, I'm a, I, he was a Jedi, I'm a great Jedi Knight and so on. Like you just, I, I just remember even during that scene, I thought, so he's a good guy, right? So he, like when he says we can destroy the Sith together, it makes me think, is this a third party? Like you got the, you got the Emperor, you got the Jedi and you got this other, this, this other group. So then when it, when it turns out that Dooku is actually just with Palpatine, it really just. It doesn't make a whole lot of sense. Well, I, uh, I, unless, again, we're supposed to go with the whole bit that, well, Palpatine's controlling all this behind the scenes. But I'm like, man, this is an elaborate plan because it's like you create your own enemies so you can create your own army. So then you can, I guess that's a smart, that's one way to do it. Is you got to create your own threat to be able to, I mean, conspiracy theorists out there and have a field day with, you know, some of our government's moves here in America based around the same ideas. Well, we create our own enemy, enemy so we can create our own military industrial complex. Yeah. And so, I mean, I, I guess that's not too far fetched, but it seems, I don't know, it seems odd. But it, moreover, I found it to be really fun because I like Christopher Lee. I like the fact that he's, he's really a hammy actor <laughs> and he's made a career out of doing sort of the same role. He's always kind of either Dracula or the man with the golden gun. That's kind of yeah. who he always is. And I kind of got a little scare mango off of him here. And I really dug it. I mean, I just I liked it. I thought this is this is fun, and I want to see this guy get in a fight. And I love how Obi Wan is doing the, you know, the standard hero thing. Like I'll never join you, you know. And I'm like, but well, they just gave him a really stupid name, Dooku. That's just a bad name. They should they come up with something better than that. But you know, whatever. Oh, yeah. I, I I like the fact though that Obi Wan is captured. You know, he's going to get sentenced to death. And of course, you know, the young heroes show up to save him. And, they, you know, there's another great joke. You know, they all get strung out there to die by the uh, by gladiator style, I guess. I don't know what that was. But Obi-Wan yeah. says, well, I thought I told you to stay away or protect her. Well, we came to rescue you. Great job. Yeah. You know, so, as he's chained to the pole waiting on the, you know, 50 foot rhinoceros to come kill him. So, yeah. um, but it does yeah. lead us to to what is going to be an ending scene because you know that they're not just showing us that droid army for nothing, you know, and they didn't go through yeah. all that crap in the with Padme and and Anakin running through the uh, factory thing, which goes on a little long in my opinion, but it's still yeah. a pretty cool scene. They didn't do that for nothing. Yeah, the droid factory scene. I think I, as much as I like this movie, that's a scene where it's like that's one action scene too many. That doesn't. I don't think they needed to be there. Uh, and yeah, and also we didn't bring up. Uh, when we get to Tatooine, uh, we get C-3PO back. Yeah. Uh, and Anthony Daniels actually returning, not just doing a voice like he was in, in Phantom Menace. He's wearing the suit again. Like, C-3PO was back. And uh, the, it did give me a little bit of that, you know, uh, geek out when all of a sudden there's Anthony Daniels. You can tell it's Anthony Daniels in the suit mm-hmm. uh, playing C-3PO. However, I don't – I do not like how he is uh, uh, put into the action. Yeah, his uh, head the, gets uh, the C three PO head gets put on a droid, uh, you know, fighter, and then yeah. the uh, the rest of him gets a droid head on top of it to go fight in the droid army. Yeah, yeah, I don't I don't care for that. I I do like R two D two being an in the I've never had a problem with R two D two, and I think it's just I I love, and I'm at the same time confused when R two D two all of a sudden has rockets come out of his legs and he can fly. And I think that's a that's a rare that's a big continuity thing with me. It's like okay, hold on. At no point do they say R two D two lost the power of flight mm-hmm. at any point. So I'm so now I watch the three films. It's like, 
why doesn't he just fly? Why like why is he uh, walking through the the canyons and Tatooine? Why isn't he just flying over them to get, get to wherever he's going? But I have no, I, I just thought they should have had a scene where someone cuts off his 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 jet engine so he can't fly anymore because that 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 just that's a continuity thing with me. It's like, well, why didn't he just fly away from the Ewoks when he's when he's tied up? No, you know, we didn't even talk about the droids, but I usually think they're just shoved into this thing because that's a Lucas thing or whatever, and I still sort of feel that way about them. But they're okay. The only thing is 3PO gets the worst comedy bits to try to lay off on people. And I'm like, just let him say, like, one of those lines. Like, they, they needed, he had, like, ten little puns, <laughs> and I'm like, he needed one of those. Like, that's yeah. too many. We need to cut down on some of this. But beyond that, though, we get the, the bit where they're going to release the, the critters on them. And of course, Padme being, you know, Miss Resourceful has tucked away a bobby pin or something in her yeah. skin tight belt of doom and gets loose. And that, you know, they all start the fight and Anakin and Obi-Wan get loose. And just in time, the army of the Jedi show up and I'm like, okay, I've heard <laughs> about it for how many movies now? Now I get to see what it looks like when the Jedi roll into town and are like, we're taking over. And I got to tell you, it does not disappoint. They go after the creatures on Geonosis and the droid army with severe gusto. I really love it when Windu and the rest of the nameless Jedi show up and start just whipping ass all over that screen. It is amazing to look at. It is a, it is a great – as a Star Wars fan, when I saw those trailers – uh, two things stood out for me. It's like, we're going to get this in the next movie. First, when I saw Django Fett, it's like, we're going to get to see, essentially, we're going to get to see Boba Fett in action. And mm-hmm. two, when I saw a bunch of Jedi with the lightsabers out, it's like, that is kind of what I wanted in the first movie. I wanted to see, this is what, this is, you know, the Jedi fighting, fighting back or, or whatever. But yeah, when, when he shows up, when, when Sam Jackson shows up and, and says, this party's over, puts the lightsaber against, uh, Dooku or Boba, uh, Django's neck and says, this party's over. It's like, that's a nice bit. And, and yeah, seeing the Jedi fight, my only problem is too many of them get shot down in the fight. Uh, I would have liked it if none of them, if absolutely zero of them get shot down. And I, I really prefer it when the Jedi are in this stage. Like if they're in a, they win every single fight they're in. You cannot shoot a Jedi. That's kind of my, my, one of my favorite things about, uh, uh, Sith is the only way you can shoot a Jedi is if you shoot him in the back, uh, and if they don't see it coming. Mm-hmm. So, uh, so the idea of the Jedi, of any of those Jedi lying on the ground dead, killed by a droid, it's like, well, how did they get to become a Jedi where they're killed off that I, easily? I, actually, I'll, I'm going to take a different tact than that. I get the idea of what you're saying, but I had no problem with the fact that they were getting killed because they were completely outnumbered and overwhelmed. Because ultimately, they get surrounded. They've chopped down probably you know 500 of these things, and there's another 800 waiting on them. And at some point, numbers are just against you. And no matter how good you are, you, you can block blast for maybe three or four of them, but not six at once. You know, and that, and it just gets to be too much. Like, I'm actually okay with the fact that they got overwhelmed by this because it lead, it lends credence to what Palpatine is doing back in the Senate, which is the Jedi can't protect us against a real army. You know, like they can do a lot, but they can't really protect us against a real army because the numbers are just too much. We got to have an army of disposable units, kind of like the droids do. Which is why the droids just keep advancing because what do they care? They got no sense of life or death. You know, the, uh, somewhere or another in the 20 years of Star Wars, they taught them torture, though, because remember Jabba was <laughs> torturing his droids. Not these guys. They're just, <laughs> they go out there and get chopped down, and another five are there. So they just keep going with it. I like the fact that the, eventually they get outnumbered, and Dooku calls it out and says, That's a brilliant fight, 
Master Windu, excellent. Expected no less from you, but it's over now. So <laughs> give it up and, you know, give up the ghost and we won't kill you. We'll, you know, we'll let you live or whatever. I, I liked that and I, I went with it. Like I said, I just was down with the the way all of that played. And I, I had fun with it. I thought it was a a fun scene and a good battle scene. And just at the moment when you think it is really over, like there's nothing else they can do. They're all pulling up those swords like, nope, we're going down swinging. And, he, and the droids start to take aim at them. And you think, well, what's coming next, right? The clone army rolls in with Yoda leading the, the track. Now you talk about awesome. Seeing Yoda come in and like over there you shall go and blow the hell out of them you will you know or whatever <laughs> it's that was awesome man I I dug it oh, yeah. when the clones landed and just unleashed hell on the droid army yeah that that's one thing about uh, this and of course in the first half of Attack of the Clo- of, of of Sith is the it kind of messes with my head is that the stormtroopers show up to save the day yeah and in the back <laughs> of my head I'm just knowing. These are eventually going to be the bad guys, but here they are as the as the good guys. They're saving everyone's ass, and that to me, that just that uh, I love that that uh, that you know, you like that in the back of your head, it's like you know, any second now they're gonna they're gonna turn, but for now they're on your side and you like them. Yeah, but, you know, just just wait until you know one movie from now when they turn on you. But yeah, and yeah seeing Yoda uh, leading an army, I mean. And I guess we're we're gonna get to it. Where what they do with Yoda in in this movie? Some people hate it. Some people despise the way Yoda is used in this movie. But uh, I really like seeing Yoda in the action, in, in like literally like leading an army. Like I, you know, I, some people just don't think it's right. They think this is a guy who would stay at a temple or stay in a swamp. Uh, can I say this? This is the perfect guy to lead the military because he's the reluctant one. He doesn't want him to be there, but he finally sees we have no other choice. So if you want anybody leading the military, you want the guy that's not the military freak to lead him. Because once the job's done, he'll be the one to call him back and say, okay, that's enough. You know, because he is not a war hawk. I, I get it. You want the wisest guy in the room to lead the army. And then, as it turns out, he's a pretty good battle strategist, too, on the yeah. fly. I mean, they, they take out these droids in in droves, and it's a pretty good fight. And I I liked it. We're going to get to Yoda and what he gets to do singularly here in a minute. But um, I like the army bit, and I like that Obi-Wan and Anakin go chasing after Dooku. You know, and they're going to take him down because he's like, well, okay, I'm done with this. <laughs> you know, because he's this is not going to go well. So he's getting ready to bail out, and the two of them show up. And I love how Obi Wan's like, all right, this is how we're going to do it. And Anakin's like, bump that, and just goes right <laughs> in there and gets force lightning to the side. Now we hadn't seen that power yet since Return of the Jedi, yeah. and it was like, oh, he can do that too. Because yeah. the last dude we saw do that, there really was no defense to that. So. How's, how's that going to work out? And when he and Obi-Wan square off, it's a, it's a pretty neat fight. I know Christopher Lee was way too old to be able to do any of this stuff, so it's his face plastered on you know a good stuntman or whatever. <laughs> but I like the sword fighting, the lightsaber fighting in this movie. I thought it, I thought it worked for the most part, man. Oh yeah, it's it's uh, it doesn't reach the heights of the wicked you know agility of in of that uh, admittedly amazing fight scene, uh, Jedi fight scene in uh, in Phantom Menace, but oh, yeah. it is very good. Uh, on a, for for a lot of different reasons. Uh, I for one with for one thing when he pulled out the force lightning. Yes. I did not see that coming. I thought 
that the emperor was the only one who could do that. So when they suddenly threw that in, that put in my head, it's like, okay, any Jedi can do that if they want to. Like if they try hard enough, you, the dark side of the force, that's what they can do mm-hmm. is you can put lightning out of your hands. And also I like how Obi-Wan can catch it with the lightsaber. Yeah. So it, that actually makes in Jedi, when he throws, when Luke throws the lightsaber away, that adds a little bit of more danger. Cause I'm like, Oh no, what you, you have Luke, you don't know what you're doing. Hold, you're yeah. going to need that lightsaber in about five seconds. Well, again, he had and, nobody to teach him that. So, yeah. <laughs> you know. And, and I really do like that fight scene. Uh, I got to bring this up, though. In the trailer, they show the bit where Anakin is holding two lightsabers at once. Mm. And that was, to me, it's like, oh, here we go. This is the double-bladed, this is Darth Maul's double-bladed lightsaber of this movie. It's like, this is going to be so badass, dual-bladed lightsabers. And he's holding two lightsabers for about 3.4 seconds. <laughs> it's taken out right away. Yeah. That, that's a big letdown. But what I love is when Anakin c- takes out the lights and... I got to think about this. This might be the first time where the light of the lightsabers is lighting a scene where yeah. the red lightsaber is emitting a red light against someone's face and a blue light against someone's face. Haven't seen that before because uh, you just can't, I guess you just can't do that. You can't have a light going through this stunt sword thing. But I love that little bit where they're just fighting in the dark. Oh, yeah. That's nice. That's a great shot. That was a great shot. It was a great moment there. You really called out a, a, a cool moment of lighting it with the lightsabers. Why not? You know, that it's like um, it's like the end of Silence of the Lambs when they switch from Buffalo Bill's point of view <laughs> to the outside so you can see Clary shoot him. You don't actually see her shoot him. You just see the, the muzzle flash of that gun going off while she's unloading rounds in the dark at him. You know, like and you, you see, only see the aftermath because she hits a window accidentally. You know, uh, that that's a great way of using the effect to light the scene. It's and same thing here. And I actually like the fight between Anakin and Dooku, even though the the dual lightsword thing doesn't last long. Kind of glad they didn't go back to that. It leads the mall one to actually sort of stand on its own as a unique mm-hmm. fight. But I do think Anakin gets taken out quickly, and I think that's just part of the fact that the story's been going on a long time. We got to get somewhere, and he loses that arm and gets force pushed into the wall pretty fast fast yeah you know and i was like ouch you know and so, so i didn't think they were going to start dismembering him because you know darth vader that's his whole thing yeah. is that he's you know, he's more machine now than man well how did he get that way well this is the start of that and yeah. i don't know i i liked all of that i like the fact that they weren't able to beat dooku and he gets away with the plans of the ultimate weapon, which we didn't even talk about that, but yeah. the Death Star. They were talking about it back then. You know, the, the Geonosians apparently were the... So now we don't have to feel bad about all those people that died working on the Death Star. They were yeah. just a bunch of locals. <laughs> so, so, you know, it's no, no problem now, right? So, oh, yeah, that's yeah. that's a great, uh, another great fan moment. It was like, well, we got these, well, we've got to get, you know, these uh, secret battle plans for this weapon we're building. And when, they, when that red LED, you know, image of... The Death Star shows up. I mean, yeah. I was like, oh, well, my God. Listen, this is like- I was in a small theater in Troy, Alabama with some friends of mine watching this, and we were all cheering, you know, and yeah. just that was a big roar moment. Yeah. Oh, yeah. And I, I just did on a side note about Christopher Lee. Mm-hmm. I think he's fantastic in this, and I would say he's the only one in this movie that gives a non-Lucas performance, yes. if that makes sense. He comes off as it almost makes me think that Lucas told him what to do. And Lee said, whatever, I'm just going to do whatever. I'm just going to do it my way because his his acting comes off as more emotional and genuine than 
Ewan McGregor or Sam Jackson or anyone. And I, I don't know, I don't know how he did it, but I look at Christopher Lee and it's like maybe it's like Christopher Lee. He knows what kind of movie he's in, so he knows how to act in a movie like this. Like I, he's the king look, of the B movies. Yes, it's the years of having done genre picks and knowing what kind of movie you're in. Look, you don't have to be the greatest thespian to be able to pull off a good performance. Donald Pleasance in the Halloween movies, and in some of those movies he gives a bad performance, but there's a couple of them he gives a really good performance, and it's because he knew what he was in. And he knew what it called for. And I think Christopher Lee's doing the same thing. He's like, well, I've been in Dracula pictures and monster movies and James Bond shit. I know how to do this. You know? <laughs> it's like, I got this. And I thought it was great. I mean, I, I agree with you. The best singular performance in the film is pulled off by Christopher Lee because he's a great performer. Just an amazing performer. And, of course, uh, definitely got to point out that to watch, to see him in a Star Wars movie in 2002, uh, the uh, the uh, the audience there was a bit of a rea- like a murmur when he showed up because everyone was like Saruman do that Saruman yeah because uh, like uh, talk about a great year for him he gets to play two major main villains in t- the two most iconic film series ever yeah in the summer we get him in uh, Star Wars and in the winter we get him in Lord of the Rings that's yes. a, that's a uh, t- when I think about you know great uh, years for movies like Pacino being in you know, two great movies a year or De Niro in heat and casino. I absolutely go attack of the clones and two towers with Chris, Chris, Christopher Lee in this. Oh yeah. Fantastic performances both times again, because he knows what he, kind of movie he's in yeah. and gives a good performance, but only to be topped by the fact that, <laughs> you know, you think he's about to get away because Obi-Wan and Anakin have been kind of vanquished. Obi-Wan gets cut up. We should mention he gets his arm and his leg cut up a little bit, but not cut off. So I like that. They, they had some wounds to him, but Yoda Rolls in with his little cane. He's like, can't let you do it, boss. And he, they're dropping lines back and forth about like, you were my Padawan. And I'm like, man, who belongs to who? I don't even <laughs> care. This is like Jersey Shore, the hills or something, man. It's everybody's connected. <laughs> That's fine. Whatever. I was digging it because, you know, he starts throwing force lightning at him. Yoda catches that and like crumbles it up like a piece of paper. You know? <laughs> he starts <laughs> dropping rocks on him. Yoda catches him like, come on. That's all you got. And I mean, really, they could you could dub like smack talk from 80s Golden Globus films oh, yeah. over this. It'd be great. So somebody go out there and do that on YouTube, by the way. Just entertain me. That'd be wonderful. So you could do that. But I love how Lee's the one that gets that great line, like, well, it's obvious we're not oh, going to yeah. be able to determine this by our use of the Force, but who's better with a lightsaber? And in that, that... opening scene with, with Anakin and Obi-Wan, he tells Anakin, I know you think you're just as good as Yoda. And he's like, well, I think I am. And he's like, you got a lot to learn, my friend. We've always heard about how bad, much of a badass Yoda it really is. And then they pull out the swords and yeah. go to town. Yeah, uh, that bit, when I talk about Christopher Lee, like, you know, knows what he's doing. I think when he read that line, I was like, well, it's clear. He's 100% talking to the audience. Like, yes. hey, audience, you know what's coming. When he says, well, it's clear this contest will not be settled by our knowledge of the Force, pause, but by our skills with a lightsaber. It's like you can almost see like a line uh, flashing across the screen, hold for applause, because absolutely, when he said that, the, I mean, I've seen a lot of movies in theaters, and I think the audience was like, a, it, was, it, was, it was a weird thing. It was like a, a few, it was like, like a, the audience's reaction was like a fuse being lit, this, like when he started saying that. And when Yoda opens his coat, and with the and I love that with the yeah. force, Grabs pulls the lightsaber yeah. <laughs> and turns it on, it's like the audience exploded. 
mm-hmm. when he leaps forward and is jumping around like like Speedy Gonzalez mixed <laughs> with a, with a ninja, and it is. Yes. And I have to point this out. I was listening to a podcast with Adam Levine, not Adam Levine, but whatever the guy is on MythBusters, Adam he Savage. And Adam Savage, and he talked. He worked on Star Wars. I think he mm-hmm. he worked on CG for Attack of the Clones, and he said he was talking about. It. It's like we got the script for this. It's like oh, and for the Yoda fight, and in the script, the only thing it said was the way Yoda fights is indescribable. <laughs> so so that so and they were just like going oh you son of a bitch Lucas so now we got to come up with all this we got to come up with the most insane fight scene anyone's ever seen with no help from you mm-hmm. uh, and yeah that I scene which goes on a perfect length for me it, it doesn't go on too long and it, they give you a lot of yes. shots of Yoda I just love it. it's Yoda fighting Christopher Lee it's like there's like as a as just like that's a cinematic moment where we got this. 80 whatever year old guy fighting the you know this little two foot yoda just <laughs> again as a film buff that just that's just a great moment and that is absolutely my favorite scene in this movie and maybe probably the best surprise action audience pleasing moment in the entire prequel trilogy because because you just do not see that coming we've only seen yoda walking around with a cane he's a he's 900 years old he's a frail old man and then we see he's putting on an act like Pycelle in Game of Thrones it's all an act he's just I don't know why he's doing it but he doesn't need a cane he just we just and uh, I just like the fact that he has a lightsaber that <laughs> we didn't see in Empire or Jedi we never even would have thought he had a lightsaber but the fact that he had has a tiny little lightsaber just big enough for him but it's still a lightsaber it can do all the damage any other lightsaber does not it's like, just an insane moment. And it, it absolutely brings to mind the way the Hulk stole the Avengers. Same thing. Uh, I, I should have thought of this when I was watching the Avengers. Like, oh, it's like when Yoda pulls out the lightsaber. That's what, that's what it's like when the Hulk starts doing his thing. Hulk smash in the Avengers. It's just audience pleasing. You know, movie goes to 11 in that scene. Oh, the movie absolutely goes to 11 of this. That's a great way of saying it because the theater I was in, the little theater again, went to like 12. When he started jumping and flipping around, I immediately had decided then I I wondered like am I going to bother to see this in the theater again or will I just wait till it comes out on DVD? You know, cuz I was like, yeah, I don't know if I really want to This has been okay, but I don't know if I wanted to do it again. When this scene happened, I was like, oh hell yeah, I'm back tomorrow night. I was like, i got to see that again. And what was funny is I was sitting with a group of friends, like I said, and one of them is a guy who's not very tall. I mean, Kurt's maybe five feet tall. This guy's name's Kurt as well. Police officer. <laughs> great dude, by the way. He was a super guy. But me and all my friends are all six feet and above, and we're sitting with Kurt, you know, and we're watching this, and we're all going. And at the end of it, we're all like, man, I'm never messing with you again. You know, and he just died <laughs> laughing about it. And he, to this day, thinks it's funny. And I, and I can't watch the scene without thinking about that moment of going, I am never messing with him again, <laughs> you know, because – Again, size matters not. <laughs> and yeah. you know, Yoda proves it totally right there. I love this scene. I thought it was a great fight. And the best part about it is that it doesn't last very long. You know, they tease us with it, Dooku gets away, and then Yoda, of course, and this is I literally said when they you know, he grabs he force grabs the can and starts hobbling back, I was like, Oh hell yeah, right. You know, I mean in the theater, everybody just chuckles at that moment because it's a great moment. Like, you don't need that cane, homie. You ain't playing nobody anymore. Hmm. But it was uh, it's a grand moment and it's a good way for it 
to end. And we have to talk about before then, you know, Mace Windu gets in on the action too. He's gone a couple of rounds with uh, Django Fett at this point, and he finally gets one-on-one with him, and Django starts ripping off shots. He blocks, 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 and boom, with one move, Samuel L. Jackson drops it touch his head off and lets his body fall one way the head goes the other way and lands in boba fett's hands i'm like that is and and i love the look on his face too like that's what you get and he turns around and starts slicing up some droids i was like that was a bad moment for mace windu that was great oh yeah that's that is absolutely when it's like okay i'm wrong about mace windu it's sam jackson finally it's sam jackson getting to be a sam jackson Star Wars character. Yes. It's like uh, it's like they gave him a lightsaber and they put the letters BMF on the bottom of it. Yeah. You know, it's like they let him do it. You know, I was like, yes, that is what I expect Samuel L. Jackson to do with a lightsaber. Oh, yeah. And the fact that he kills Boba Fett's dad, well, hell yeah, that's awesome. So, oh, yeah. <laughs> it's like, that's how good. you know. That's how you know. Okay, now I see why he's on the Jedi Council. He's the kind of guy. He's This is the kind of guy who can kick Boba Fett's ass exactly. in a fight. And uh, oh yeah, that is a great moment. Like, I I don't know why I must have forgotten about it. But when he cut, when he was like charging at him, yeah. block, 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 slice his head off. It's like oh, forgot about that. Yeah, it's, and, that's uh, a great, great action moment. And it kind of, I think it gets overshadowed by the fact that what Yoda and Dooku go through because you just forget it. But again, I rewatched the battle scene again before our review. Just rewatched that part of it after having watched the movie a couple times, and it just stuck out to me. I was like, got to definitely remember that because otherwise you do forget it. But yeah. you know, Yoda arrives, Dooku gets away, flees to Coruscant, and he gives the blueprints to the Sith Master. So at that point, we realize he's on Darth Sidious's side, you yeah. know, and Palpatine, whatever we want to call him. So that that's it. And I like the conversation between you know, the Jedi here is that they acknowledge that the Clone Wars is starting and that they have been behind the the ball on all this. They've missed all this. How did they not see any of this coming? As powerful as they are, their ability to use the force has been incredibly diminished. Hmm. You know, Mace says that earlier in the film, and it's pretty clear now that they're having to acknowledge that, yeah, we're going to have to have this clone army now. What's this going to mean, you know? And they're they're talking with Obi Wan about it, and they ask him, well, "Where did you know? Where's Anakin?" And uh, because we didn't talk about the fact when Anakin slaughters all those, uh, uh, not Jawas, all those uh, Tusken Raiders, Yoda's the one that senses it back at Jedi Council, like something is wrong with Anakin, like he is in a bad place right now, and he doesn't know what, you know. And so they're wondering where he is, and he's you know taking uh, Senator Amidala back to Naboo, you know obviously just to you know take her home but no he's there to marry her in secret and i'm like okay so that we're going to end with them married I, were you okay with that that they just escalated right to that moment i guess battle hmm. brings the heart fonder uh well i don't know i mean i i would have i mean if they want to keep their relationship a secret i don't know why uh they have c3po and r2d2 as witnesses uh, maybe, right maybe, maybe even in space you have to have witnesses i don't know i guess <laughs> They yeah, had it's, a preacher it's, too. I didn't. I'm like, what? What? By the power of the force, I like, husband <laughs> and wife. What? What is that all about? So. Yeah. It's a little. It's a little odd. But of course, I have to bring up uh, when talking about fan service moment, like when Yoda pulling out his lightsaber and so on, and having Jango Fett do all that cool stuff and so on. When Yoda says, "Begun the Clone War has." First time we've heard those words since Fant- not since uh, A New Hope. When he's talking about, you know, he served my father in the Clone Wars. Like, what the hell's a Clone War? Finally, that to me, even watching it in 2002, was like finally going to get to see what the what the Clone War is about, and that is, and when uh, it's like begun, the Clone War has, and full on Empire theme blasting out, mm-hmm. just like it did in Empire Strikes Back, seeing row upon row 
of stormtroopers and to me the more iconic thing the star destroyers when all of a sudden all these star destroyers that are clearly each filled with about with like you know hundred thousand soldiers are taken off heading off in different directions it's like there you go yeah this like this is like clearly lucas is really going to get the ball rolling in the next movie and uh and yeah i think the way this movie ends is fantastic again with this whole like a middle film without a proper beginning or end uh works for me this that ending uh doesn't bother me the the wedding of it uh any of it it works works terrific i like the fact that he gets the fake hand too that they you're they oh, yeah see her holding his fake hand i was like that's awesome like it's total fan service but i was down with it man i'm with you i i dug it you know i think we're at the point of the podcast where it's time to give our final thoughts recommendations and popcorn ratings so kurt what are yours for star wars episode two attack of the clones well as i said on that Phantom Menace podcast that uh, I cannot stand people <laughs> saying that Attack of the Clones is the worst Star Wars film. Uh, I that I can't like and people say no Phantom Menace is way better than Clones. I'm just like and I'm saying this to people now it's like okay if you want to still say that watch the movies like watch something like Jaws, Godfather, Pulp Fiction whatever watch that then watch Phantom Menace and tell me Phantom Menace that there is anything worth saving in that movie. That tell me the acting's good. Tell me the writing's good. That movie is that movie is is just about a zero if not for the the way it looks. Great visual film, but the rest of it, dog shit. This movie, as I said, I am surprised by how much I enjoyed this film. I was surprised how fast it went by too. I was like. All of a sudden, we we're in the gladiator, the, the gladiator arena. I was just looking at the, t- the the time going by. It's like, I was like, "Geez, that was a we're already two hours into this movie. I, that, that was a fast two hours. I couldn't believe it." The pacing of this movie is so much better than the first movie. The writing is 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 better than it is in the first movie. They lose Jar Jar. He says three words. They lose the Newt Gunray character. He says, you know, three words. And more importantly, this felt like a Star Wars film when they like basically this movie earned that Star Wars music playing with the blue text over the space. When this movie was over, it was like, that was good. That was really, really good. And I think the fans need to give this movie another chance. Hayden Christensen, think about it. Like it's not, it's not his fault. Hayden Christensen, Vancouver guy like me, <laughs> I got to stick up for him. He is not, it's not his fault. Liam Neeson's a great actor. It's not Liam Neeson's fault that he sucks. Lucas doesn't know how to work with actors. Anyway, this movie, the highlight moments, like I'm like the moments, the great moments in this movie, the Boba Fett fight, Anakin's turn to the dark side with the sand people, uh, the arena that the, the whole the creature arena fight. That's fantastic. The Jedi showing up, the Yoda fight uh, and the, the Count Dooku fight with Anakin before that. All of it. The last 40 or like 30 minutes of this movie is pure action. And it is I think it's fantastic. And fan service i'm telling you the audience was exploding when you when yoda was doing that. it was like build up build up build up action was getting better and better yoda you almost want like you almost feel like you want to stand up and applaud when that happened this movie i almost just want to flat out say that it's great great it's that good but it's like the delivery on those some of those classic lines like i talked about were just a little iffy you know it's the acting is not up there but as a film, I think Lucas as a director making a film so much better. I give this movie a large popcorn. 
the quantum leap between Phantom Menace and Clones is remarkable. And Attack of the Clones, perfectly good movie. I'll say this. This movie is not A New Hope or Empire Strikes Back. And it never could be. Okay? What my litmus test is, is can it be better than Phantom Menace? Hell, it can't be any worse. So that's not even a test. It's can it at least be what I found redeemable about Return of the Jedi? Because there were parts of that movie I'd flat I didn't like. We talked about it on the podcast. But ultimately, I was able to give most of it a pass because the stuff I did like in it was fantastic, I thought. And I feel the same way about this as I do Return of the Jedi. And I will go a step further. I like this film more than Return of the Jedi. Because I got into the second act a lot more. The second act of Return of the Jedi is just ah, it's just garbage for a lot of it. I just, all that Ewok stuff, and just, eh, I just wasn't, I'm just not down for it. Didn't enjoy it. The second act of this movie, even the clunky love story and the bad lines and all that stuff. Again, I get the earnestness of what's there and balanced against the Obi-Wan story, which is fantastic. I loved it. And then the blowout third act action scene with all of the, the tension building and heightened moments. I mean, it's, it couldn't get bigger than the Jedi show up to take on the droids. Then the clones show up to take on the droids with the Jedi. Then Mace Windu kills you know Boba Fett's dad. Then Anakin and Obi-Wan take on Dooku and they both get down. Then Yoda shows up and totally shows out. As if it couldn't get any better, it just kept topping itself. And I found myself utterly entertained by this film and have every time I've watched it. I just adore this movie and have a lot of fun watching it because it, it it hits all my sweet spots. It gives me what I want out of a Star Wars film. And it's a ton of action. It's you know some decent intrigue. The, the policy story works better this time all around a better experience and a really fun one. And I'll say this too. If you don't like this one, folks, I think some of the hangover of not liking Phantom Menace eats away at some of this film. If you don't like this, give it another shot, like Kurt said, because there's a lot to really enjoy here. And if for nothing more, go for it for the action, because the action is fantastic in it. Christopher Lee's great in it. I'm with you. Large popcorn, not perfect, not extra large, you know, territory, but a satisfying large popcorn. And I'll say it again, more entertaining for me than Return of the Jedi was. I really enjoyed this. And when I walked out of the theater of it, I remember being like, yep, I'll be back the next night. I was. I saw it a couple more times in theaters and I was really pumped for Revenge of the Sith that was coming. I could not wait till that movie came out. I was so jazzed for it. And we'll get to that next time here on the show. But going to be lots of fun. But both of us agree, much stronger film than the uh, you know, what you would be led to believe if you believe the internet. So give Attack of the Clones another one. Kurt and I both give it a large popcorn. Folks, thanks for listening to this latest edition of Filmstrip. You can find more episodes on our website, continuousplaypodcast.com. There you'll find links to all of our podcast adventures, Squared Circle Flashbacks, where Brian Thomas and gang go through the yesteryear of wrestling at the WWE Network and talk about some of those pay-per-views, The Art of Slaying, our Buffy the Vampire Slayer retrospective. Of course, Filmstrip, where you can find all kinds of different film reviews. And then The Fabish Factor, where Kurt and different uh, guests, hosts, talk about things like Game of Thrones, The Wire, top films of each year. You can also find links to our Facebook pages and Twitter accounts, all that stuff available for you there at ContinuousPlayPodcast.com. So until next time, for Kurt, I'm Jay. Thanks for listening to Filmstrip. Thank you for listening to our Star Wars Retrospective Series. May the Force be with you.